After a brief hiatus, Goodlad Clothing has returned, but under a new location, 3283 Main Street is where they can be found. Name drop a hoops journey to get 10% off any clothing items in store. The store no longer offers barber, but you can find the best retail around. Thanks to our sponsor, Goodlad Clothing, and we hope to see you there. Episode 44 with none other than the big fella, Mr. Paul Ebes Ebehart. Uh, great episode. Looking forward to everyone hearing this. A guy who maybe a lot of people didn't realize just the history and lineage of basketball through his family and just how long he's been a part of the game. Um, what were your takeaways or what did you think about the episode, Corpse? How many years did he say he was coaching? Was it 40 years or something like that? 40, I think, would have been this. Jeez. Yeah, this year. Jeez, that's that, the amount of time he's given to the game. And to how many, how many times has he been coaching Langara than like two Vancouver schools at the same time, right? It just, you can't really ask for more from a, from a, from a coach, I think. Yeah, multiple provincial teams. Uh, you know, he's been on the board. I think he's been the president of BC Boys Basketball. He's been so involved with the game um, for so long. So a great episode. I know he was just as excited to get on. And you'll notice because he had notes and was ready to answer certain questions. And, and I know he had processed it. So that was, was kind of cool. Uh, it's kind of cool that people are fired up to get on the show. Um, but we know you'll enjoy this one. So here we go. <laughs> Did we lose Aaron? Did we lose him? I was gonna put in some booze for the for the VC thing too. <laughs> I was talking for a while there; nobody was saying anything. So I know I was. I'm, I'm gonna text him right. Let's <laughs> get texted right now. Um. Oh boy! Buckle up, everyone. Uh, this is one of the uh, go grab a notepad, a pen. A cold beverage and uh, sit back and relax. Uh, a decorated coach in our province, um, a guy who has dedicated his life to the game. We were just talking offline. Um, 40 years of coaching, uh, which is hard to believe because he had the total misfortune of having to coach me um, a couple times in the summer. And um, a legend out there. Many people know the name, not just for his coaching, but for who he is as a person. Just such a, a great guy. Um, not only been a coach, but volunteered his time, um, you know, been a part of BC basketball, loves the game, has a mean elbow drop, uh, the king of super camp, running lines on the carpet at the church. We have nobody other than Mr. Paul Eberhart. How are you? I am awesome, Aaron, and uh, thank you for having me. As I mentioned before, I've been waiting for this moment. Uh, I think I've, after 40 years, I think I've finally arrived in the BC basketball community now that I am on a hoop journey. <laughs> but I do well, have one complaint before I start. Oh, sure. I, Let's get into fan, it. And I would have mm -hmm. been more than happy to have purchased a lovely hoop journey t-shirt. However, you don't make them in sizes large enough to fit my bigger size COVID body these days oh oh just you wait coach we are we're working on that yeah okay i'm 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 embarrassed to say how many x's go before the l these days but uh <laughs> if you can hook me up with the gargantuan t-shirt i'd be very happy we'll make sure uh, you're taken care of yeah. thank you that will happen 
It will. I promise. I know we we're excited to have you on as well. Uh, obviously, you know you're a guy who's we have lots of connections. Had the opportunity to play for you. Um, now you're coaching at the college that I you know had the fortune of playing for. So always kind of trying to do my best to keep an eye on the progress of the Falcons. And how are you? You know you've you switched to a different role the last few years um, in your in your professional life and still trying to maintain the balance with coaching at Langara. And you know COVID's been a challenge for all of us. But I look at you as someone who has you know a broad perspective and and one thing i've always appreciated you is your ability to laugh and smile so what have you done to kind of have yourself and your family and your players get through this time well yeah i mean covid uh was just bizarre i mean i think you talked about it on a former broadcast we literally just finished the bc tournament and it was a big tournament for us this year because it was the you know 71st anniversary and, uh, you know, I was, you know, volunteering to chair that committee. And, I mean, I, that, that was such an awesome, incredible night. Uh, so I'm so glad that we were able to fit that in. Mm-hmm. And then next week in my role uh, as vice principal of the academies in West Vancouver, um, before spring break ended, literally we had, um, I, I look after our robotics academy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, no one can believe it, but I've become a robotics expert, by the way. Uh, but we were we were supposed to head to Louisville and to Kentucky, uh, to Louisville, Kentucky, and to Houston for the World Championships. And literally, it was the Thursday night, the last uh, Friday before Thursday before spring break, that we had to cancel everything because we were mm. supposed to leave like the, the next week during spring break. So, yeah, COVID hit crazy hard, and uh, you know, for the beginning of it, just uh, you know, hunkered down. Uh, uh, I mean, I think the cool thing about it. For me, a little bit has been um, we, me and my wife just moved, uh, and we just got all of our renovations done, like by the end of February. So um, we really love where we live, and, and we've got it all, you know, the way we want it. So that was really lucky for us, and uh, you know, I've got to spend a lot more time with Louise, which has been quite cool, actually. I'm sure she might see something a bit different at this point, but because um, she recently retired, right? So. Um, so yeah, just a lot of time. I mean, uh, I finally got to watch every Sopranos uh, episode. Didn't yes. watch that, and uh, yeah, just uh, tried to lay back a little, which is not always easy for me, um, mm-hmm. but it was good for me. Just laid back and you know read some books, and it's actually that's when I first started listening to podcasts. I mean, mm-hmm. truthfully, at podcasts, like it's kind of weird to me because. It's kind of like going backwards because a podcast is kind of like just listening to the radio, right? <laughs> but it's amazing. Uh, so I found a bunch of cool ones to listen to. That, you know, so that was fun. And, and of course, don't miss any episodes of yours. So yeah. um, you know, it, it was okay. And then yeah. most of August, I was back at work trying to figure out what our timetables was going to be and what our schedules were going to be. And I think it's gone pretty well. Being back at work has been good. I, I, I was glad to to do that and sort of get up every day and and uh, get me a little more focused. Um, I was getting pretty lazy during COVID, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> thus the uh, the COVID, I don't know, 25 or 30 that I put on. Um, so glad to be back at it. Um, and also glad to be back in the gym again. Uh, this was the longest time I've been out of a gym since I was probably 12 or 13 years old. So it's been nice to get back in there and work with my Langara squad and also do some skills work with uh, the kids at West Vancouver Secondary. All right, man, let's get right into it. I'm thrilled. Uh, 
you know, I got lots of fond memories of you just spending, you know, the, you know, one summer in Vegas was enough to just, you know, <laughs> not in a bad way, in a good way. Like it, it was just, I could only imagine spending a few years in a college or whatever with you. So, um, and, and I think what's cool about you is just how many, and I don't know if you've had the reflection on how many people you've impacted in the game of basketball. I'm, I'm sure sometimes it's overwhelming to think about, but Go back and talk about your story and what life was like for you. You know, you've got a family that's a rich, you know, basketball tradition in your family as well. And and I think it's an important part of your story, which is a huge reason as to why the game came to you. So just for the listeners out there, talk about how life was for you as a young guy and, and when basketball sort of really started to take off and be a huge part of your life. Well, uh, we grew up in the uh, west side of Vancouver uh, in Caresville. Went to Maple Grove Elementary and McGee Secondary, which were right beside each other. Um, and the funny thing is, is that's, you know, where my parents were, went to school. My mom and dad both went to McGee. And it, I mean, it's kind of corny. Like, my dad was one of the star players on their team that, you know, won the provincial championship in 1961. My mom was the head cheerleader at McGee, and they got married right out of high school and had Doug Hurston and me right away. So very, sort of had very young parents and a very sports-minded family. Uh, my brother, myself, and then later my younger sister, Susie, all of us were involved in sports. Um, for me, it was interesting because I just, we played everything, right? Like in not just organized sports, but as kids, we there was a whole group of us would always meet up, up at the church and we'd just get together and we'd just play be it football, be it kick the can, whatever. We just like to play and compete. And so I played everything when I was younger. Um, and, uh, you know, so soccer and Little League baseball. And my, I never played hockey because my skating was absolutely atrocious. Um, but, uh, you know, basketball started, you know, probably around grade five or six. But we all, I always knew I was going to play, and I always knew my brother. We always knew we were going to play because, you know, that picture of my dad's team, the 1961 McGee black shirts, as they were then known, it was like right on the wall in our rec room beside our pinball machine. We saw it every day, and, and we heard about that team every day. And, and then when I was in grade nine at McGee, our senior team qualified for the BC championships, which was a pretty big deal because – uh, that was, when was I in grade nine? Like 1979. And that was the first time McGee had made it pretty much since my dad team had won it. So we all got on buses and went down to the PNE Coliseum. And I just remember when I walked in there and I saw, I was just like, oh my God, I want to be part of this event. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Um, and so, you know, that sort of became a focus of mine, right? You know, when I was 13, 14 years old. Um, so, for me, it was interesting, though, because my brother is an exceptional athlete. Like, it, it pisses me off because he's good at everything. And I was pretty average at everything, if I'm going to be really honest. I had to work really hard just to be a bit above average. And he just could do anything. Uh, he was phenomenal at all sports. So, I mean, I got my ass kicked my entire childhood. Um, I even remember I only ever beat him twice in my life in one-on-one. -on -one. And we would play every day. Like, so mm. we're talking thousands of games. I remember both times I beat him, though. I'll never forget it. Um, one was in the, our backyard court. Um, we had a three-point line that we had painted in, but our lane wasn't completely paved. So depending on where you kicked the rocks, 
the three-point line could be closer or further away. <laughs> anyway, I had like a three to beat him, and it was the greatest day of my life. Um, and then a second time, I got lucky at UBC War Memorial. So, um, so you know, I started basketball at McGee in grade eight, and I got cut from my grade eight team, and I was just devastated. Like, I couldn't believe it, right? Um, yeah. You know, here was my brother, the star player for the grade eights and, and grade nines, and but it was interesting. I... I uh, I found that I just said to myself, okay, listen, I'm not going to let this happen again. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I followed my brother everywhere. Like he would go play, he would go to, down to Kids Beach all the time and play down there. Um, and he would go to UBC War Memorial. He would go down across the line down to, to Western Washington or whatever. Uh, we used to go to, you know, Marv Harshman basketball camp. And, and so I followed him a lot. And so I started playing a lot more. Um, I, I ended up making the team in grade nine. And, and you know, but again, I was a very average player. So, um, once I get older now, and I'm in grade 12, we had like a terrible team because all the all the best athletes were all rugby players. And, you know, they had some issues with, let's just say, their discipline and behavior. And so they weren't even on the team. And I'm like, sweet, like I'm going to start, right? Because we were terrible. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, right before the season started, uh, I broke my ankle in like three places. And so... I was out, out for the season, and it was just devastating. Like, like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Right? But I had a lot of encouragement from my teachers and coaches. Harry Franklin um, would coach me at junior and, and had, was going to take over the senior team. And um, the vice principal, Don McIntyre, approached me because he was got roped into coaching the grade 8 team, and he just didn't have much time. So he said, he said, Paul, I understand from Mr. Tyler and Mr. Franklin that you're you really know what you're doing, uh, and would you be interested in helping me out? So I said, yeah. Well, as it turned out, he was so busy, he pretty much was never there. And so <laughs> I started coaching from that day forward. So, you know, I was 16, like I said, I'm 56 now. It's my 40th year. And, uh, boy, uh, I knew as soon as I started it, like, I think I was lucky as a, as a teenager, as an adolescent, because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted mm -hmm. to be a teacher. And I wanted to be a coach. And so from that moment forward, I did everything I could to pursue that and to make sure, you know, I was able to do what I needed to do to make that happen. So you were essentially like, is it the Washington Generals and your brother was the Globetrotters? Like you, he pulled <laughs> off two. Yeah. That is an awesome comparison. I would enjoy that. Too. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was pretty much it. You know, and of course, I went on to, to, to play at Mount Royal College and then Played for Bruce Ends at UBC. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, he was a, a very talented basketball player. Absolutely. Uh, and, and he didn't mind rubbing my face in it whenever he could. <laughs> as, a, as any brother should, right? Um, I must say, though, he, he, he was not very big, eh? Like, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm only like, you know, I like to say I'm 5'7", and he was maybe 5'9". Yeah. I was also a skinny dude, so... We used to be able to break into the McGee gym because we could, we could sort of kick through the vent in the door, yeah. and he could actually slip through it, and then he could let us all in. So we did that quite a bit, actually. That's um, awesome. Just to get shots up and to play and let other guys in the gym. And, and by that time, you know, as anybody knows, if you're going to become a, a PE teacher and a coach, the most important person that you need to make contact with and get to like you as the custodian. And we did that as, as teenagers. So even when he knew we were in there, he just looked the other way. 
Yeah, I, I got to play. I don't even know. I played with your brother um, at the the old the Grizzlies facility where so it was like Willis Croft and uh, J- Jason Leslie, our men's league team. So we played together a little bit, which was fun. Yeah, no, um, Doug, uh, Doug actually still plays a little bit. Jeez. Uh, it was funny when he turned, uh, I think it was 35. Yeah. These are 35 or 40 when you became, you could play with the Masters, right? Right. And so it was kind of interesting. My brother ended up playing on a team with Brent Watson. Hmm. And of course, Brent Watson played with my father and was the MVP of that championship team. Uh, Brent played well into his 60s. So, yeah. That's and I ended up teaching with Brent too at McNair. So, there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, so you, like you, you I, I also love the perspective too. I, I can't remember I was reading somewhere or someone had on Instagram one of those polls and it was like, you know, do you have to have played a sport to be a good coach? And I've never really believed that obviously, you know, playing for someone like Richie Chambers and, um, and, you know, you know, you worked at it and, but, you know, you didn't necessarily have any of these like astounding accomplishments, but you started to understand the game and then, and then that's what fueled your fire. And then you stay at McGee as soon as you graduate high school. Is that correct? And then you just like, you're just full on in. No, I I just think it's phenomenal in terms of like, you know, people who would think, Oh, you've been coaching 40 years might assume that you're like 75, right? Like you literally, (laughs) you know, and that's not the case. It's just, it was just ingrained in you. Like you say that just that visual of your dad, that, that on the wall every day. And it was almost like you were processing it without even knowing it. Yeah, no, I, it's true. As soon as I, when we started at UBC, I, I made sure I set my schedule up so that I could keep coaching. And yeah. so, I mean, the funny thing was that first ever team I did that grade eight team I did, we actually were really successful and we won like the city title. So, mm-hmm. you know, imagine I'm 16, I'm coaching this team of like 13 year olds. And here I think like, oh my God, I'm the greatest coach ever. I just want like, right. <laughs> this is and easy. I, you know, and then I coached them again and we did really well. And, but you know, it was, uh, I look back at that time and I go, wow, I, I didn't know. Shit. I mean, I didn't know anything. <laughs> right. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I just, I really wasn't afraid to ask and learn. And I got lucky again because it would have been when I was 20, 21, turning, yeah, 20, that that all of a sudden Pete Tyler was supposed to coach the senior team and he got transferred to church. Anyway, they asked me to coach the senior team, like as a 20-year-old, 21. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> and, I mean, I, I, I immediately said, like, are you kidding me? Of course I will. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was such an honor. And I think back then it really was an honor. Uh, to be a senior boys coach. There wasn't a lot of positions back in those times that were available uh, mm. because that was considered to be a, a pretty important thing. And and um, so I said, yeah. And so I took over. The, and, and again, it, it was it was, a, it was a pretty good team. And, you know, my first year we, we managed to make the BCs and made it to the final eight. And, and uh, so, I mean, that was, you know, as, as I told you, that was kind of my dream, my goal to make it. Yeah. And so to do it at like 21 years old uh, uh, with my with that McGee team was pretty uh, was pretty cool. What was your style like at a young age? I mean, you know, you um, did you or were you just sort of basically learning on the fly and trying to figure things out as you were going along? Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the first few teams I coached, uh, the younger teams, we actually had size. 
So I was all about like pounded inside. I mean, no one's ever going to believe this about me, but we would walk <laughs> it down the floor and we would play slow and we'd pound it inside. And, and, um, and I thought that was the way to play. You're and right. No one was, is, no one is going to believe that. You're right. No, yeah. no one's going to believe that. Right. Um, <laughs> but and the more I, I started coaching and the more I started going to, to camps and listening to other coaches. And then actually the more I started talking to players, you know, um, after coaching the younger teams at McGee, I realized it's not really the most exciting and funnest way to play. Players want to get up and down. And, th- and so I started to adjust as I, as I took over the senior team and realized that all of a sudden we weren't that big anymore, but we had some pretty talented guys that could shoot and get up and down the floor. And the three-point line had literally just come in at that time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, so I started to adjust, and we played a, a much more fast-break open style. And I, you know... I, I worked on it and changed it and tweaked it. And it wasn't really until the early 90s uh, when I was at McNair that I really developed my fast break system that, you know, I pretty much still use to this day. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it was a fairly long process to sort of figure out, you know, the way I want to play. Uh, but I also think if you're a high school coach, uh, you can have a way you want to play, but your players might not be able to be successful at that. So, the fun thing about coaching high school is I think you have to really be creative and you have to figure out your team and what's going to maybe work best for them. You know, at Langara, at least I'm given the opportunity to recruit players that I want to fit my system. Mm-hmm. At high school, you got what you got, you know, unless you're cheating like some guys did. Um, and, and you got to work, you got to work with who you got to work with who you got. Yeah. And so you have to be adjustable to play lots of different types of ways. I love that. Believe that too. And you're right. It is the special thing about high school is just kind of, yeah, you know, you have your culture and you have your vision and you have kind of that your non-negotiables maybe in the locker room and in practice and in school, but who are the guys and what, what fits best for everyone? I love that early insight. That's, that's good stuff. Um, and so the, did you finish your degree at UBC and then still coach at McGee? And then did you continue there or is that when you moved to McNair? Just give yeah, us an idea so of that I, timeline. I, um, yeah. I, I, you know, I wasn't exactly in a hurry with my education. Was, uh, so, yeah, hey, I'm not here to judge. You know that I stretched my <laughs> academic career as far as it would go as well. Yes. And I'm uh, living that right now, perhaps. perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The three amigos here are on board. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to you know, see the world and do other things. And, uh, you know, it's like funny. Like the pit pub. <laughs> there might have been the occasional Wednesday where I was at the pit pub for the cheap, cheap beer and wings. I think you yeah. can probably guess that. Yeah. <laughs> but what was interesting is I, I was actually one of the last guys to get my Bachelor of Physical Education. Because by the time I was ready to get it, they had already didn't do it. It was now, you know, much more dignified called human kinetics. Like, right. seriously, give me a break. Yeah. So. I was one of the last guys to get my BPE, and like they wanted me out of there. They're like, you know, get out of here, please. We don't want to give this degree out anymore. Like, hurry up and finish. And I had, oh, I mean, Mitch, back then you had to do these activity classes, right? So you had to do track and field; it was mandatory. Yeah, picture me jumping hurdles, and you had to do gymnastics. So I got a break. Got a break on the track and field because my counselor from high school and a basketball guy, Bill McNulty, who's now a, a counselor in, in Richmond, yeah. um, he took over the track and field for that year from Lionel Pugh, 
who was like, I never would have passed with him. So now McNulty was running it. So boom, I got that pass done easily. And then I, I uh, you know, unfortunately I had some more ankle issues mm. during my gymnastics. So I was able to get a medical path through that too. So I finally, I finally finished my degree. Um, and then I, I did my year of education at UBC. Um, and so I coached at McGee all the way up until then. So that would have been 1990. Um, yeah. So I actually coached at McGee for, I, or 1989, I guess. I actually coached McGee for like 10 years in mm-hmm. total. And then I got hired at Burnett, which was a junior secondary um, right. for my first two years. But my principal moved to uh, McNair, and he really valued athletics. And at that point, McNair, like, you know, basketball in Richmond was gigantic with, you know, just having Steveston and Richmond secondary. So, um so he wanted to get the basketball started at McNair, so he brought me over to McNair to, to get started with that program in 1992. Yeah. So uh, that would have been my you know, my third year teaching is when I started there. Can I ask you this? Of course. Why uh, – what is it about the, the public system that, like, how come there isn't an administrator, or maybe there are there, that, that – bring someone over to get a program going or an extracurricular music arts or like, is that a bit of a lost thing or am I, am I starting to sound like get off my lawn, you know? <laughs> no, no, you're no. right. That, that, yeah. that used to be, um, administrators used to have a lot more freedom in how they hired. Okay. Um, and so, you know, back then they, I mean, I, my very first interview was actually at Palmer junior high and they were looking for a football guy and I think most of my interview was the famous Ernie Novakowski. Anybody in Richmond will know that principal. He didn't ask. He was all. He just asked me all about football and about coaching. But <laughs> but that was different times. So principals right. just don't really have that freedom to do that anymore. However, yeah. if they're if if you're creative, yeah, you no. Know, you can ask those questions without asking them. You, you can still know what you're getting. In it. And I wish more principals would do that uh, because if you want a better school and you want a better environment and you want a more, you need to have really gifted and talented and passionate people who are willing to coach your sports teams or run your drama programs. You, you need those people. It mm-hmm. makes your school a better place. So I wish, I wish we weren't so limited um, administrators in terms of hiring, um, you know, not that I, you know, I understand that the union protocols are in place. I mean, I was a union rep for years, so mm-hmm. I understand that. But you know, I think there's still a way to hire people with the right experience who are willing to coach. And uh, it was just easier back then. Like, yeah. if you wanted a job in teaching, um, basically, if if you got on the sub list. Um, you know, that, that would be a way to get you on the sub list first, and then they'd be able to, to try to find you a job within the system. So, uh, but it doesn't happen very much anymore and it's unfortunate. Yeah. Thank you. Just, yeah. It's cause I just think of you, you know, you're still a young guy. You're, you're oh, willing to you. coach. <laughs> well, I meant it this time, but you are still a young oh, yes. man. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So that wasn't really a compliment then at all. <laughs> But, you know, you're keen and you want to get things going and someone has some vision and says, hey, you know, forget about, you know, I know that you're up against, you know, Steveston and Richmond and there's a lot of, you know, history at those schools. But we've got this school, McNair, and I, you know, 
here's the keys, right? And and I think yeah. about you know because I'm I'm kind of right in the middle of that time when you're at McNair. That's my high school times, and you know I know about the connections of you know Harv Booney and Josh and you know and Rob and those guys and the connections that they have with you still to this day. Um, and you kind of were like the foundation. That's got to be kind of a cool feeling. And you know you've had so many kind of notch in the belt moments, but like that's kind of a cool one in terms of you trying to get involved in the Richmond basketball, which like you mentioned, we had two sort of heated rivals and it's like, okay, what about all these other schools? Now the landscape's very different, but yeah, um, that, that must've that, been a fun time for you. That was a very special time for me. Cause I, you know, I was still in my twenties and, uh, and I, I lived at the school, like literally I was there for me, you know, in the morning till 10 at night and yeah. I loved it. And I was, you know, like I, I could open up the gym on the weekends anytime for kids to come play. And, um, yeah, you just, I, I, I knew that if we were going to have a chance, we had to find a way to make McNair a special opportunity different from maybe what Disborough was doing at Richmond High and Roddy Jensen was doing at Steveston. But I had to build a culture. And, um, you know, I remember one of the first things I did was there used to be a rule in the, in the Richmond League and in the Vancouver League that you could not start senior boys basketball until November 7th. Um, and so we, we did Midnight Madness at McNair. So November 7th at midnight, we had everybody come and, you know, we had all these shooting competitions and games and pizza and prizes. And, and then at like probably around three or four in the morning, everyone got out their sleeping bags and, you know, and then got woke up by the bell in the morning. And so that was sort of one of the first things I did just to let the kids know there that, hey, this is big time and we're going to make a big deal of it. And, and it was just one of the things I remember very fondly in terms of, you know, building the culture. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I, I just needed the students there to know that we weren't going to take a backseat to anybody um, and that we were going to take it seriously. And, you know, we were going to work our asses off and practice and, and get a really top-level schedule of games. And, you know, we were going to go to, to California or Hawaii or, you know, wherever we were going to go on our trips. And, um, and I was really proud of, of what I was able to do there. Um, you know, we basically took the leftovers, right? Because it was pretty yeah. much open boundaries back in those days. Um, and But there was lots of great players to go around. I mean, the junior highs, like Burnett, where I had coached at, the year I coached the junior team before I left for McNair, we were number two in the province. I had like Chris Lake and Andy Dunn and all these great players. Well, Palmer was number one in the province, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, Butchie Gates and coaching, you know, like uh, Tyler Tamale and uh, and Andrew Mavis and Bobby Singh and like, and, and so there, there was lots of good players to go around. And I thought, you know, I understand that Richmond's going to get the top guys because they're established and, you know, their brothers went there or whatever. And, but, I, you know, I think if I can get the next best guys and turn them on to basketball and get them excited about our program, I think we'll be competitive. And, you know, as it turned out, that formula worked pretty well. We, we made the BCs um, in our third year of existence um, mm -hmm. at McNair. And, and then we made it for, like, I think six of the next seven years, uh, including yeah. one year where all three, Richmond, Steveston, and ourselves, all three senior highs made the BCs in one year. So, I mean, I think it just shows you how strong the talent was back in those days in Richmond. Oh, I mean, 
there's no there's no question it was phenomenal i mean you, there were years where the bc team would have anywhere from two to five guys on it right and and i think you know you, i can attest to that you know my grade 12 year we came out and played you guys at mcnair and i remember you know the, the gym was packed and I always give hard of a hard time as like the Puniac attack sign on the wall. Like, and then, you know, but we're, these are just, you know, like they, we're hyping it up for the chancellor here. People are doing it for certain, but, but this is just like a, a, an exhibition game on a Wednesday in February, you know what I mean? And, and there's still that excitement and um, it is good. gives our younger listeners an example of kind of, you know, when people say, Oh, you're an old head or you wonder why you talk about those years. It's like, imagine being a high school student being allowed to like go nuts watch like josh masters throw dunks off the wall and like do 360s and everybody going crazy and then everyone just like sleeps in the what is that is that you flashback for uh, yeah oh my god would you just i wasn't sure was that a harp harp? it is a harp in fact yeah (laughs) like i was at a wedding or something I thought, Corbs, you got a new ringtone, man. <laughs> Anyways, back to my phenomenal point and just that that culture. And I, and I, like, I, yeah, there's no question that the Marlins and had so many great memories for me. Like I mentioned, you know, that U-17 summer driving out there in the McCrory van every day with, you know, Tutu and Ole and Allie. Like, just, you know, my parents taking those guys on every summer, it seemed like, for three or four summers and going out there and going to Vegas and going down to Seattle. And, you know, those are the things that you remember. The, the victories and the wins and the losses are cool, but those bonding moments and those fun times. And I was always just so impressed with your ability to, like, there was no BSing around when practice started, it was go time. Like there was no question about that. And it was intense and we got after it. I, we ran a ton, we were intense, but I always really appreciated and kept in the back of my mind how you were able to, when practice was over, like maybe you were pissed off at a guy about their performance or whatever. And you know, you have your time, but after that 20 minutes, that half an hour, or maybe you don't see them for that day, and then your next day, you move on, and it was fun. Like, you, you had this fun element to it, too, and and I know probably you're thinking, well, it's just high school, Mitch. Like, it can't be serious all the time, but I'm not sure many coaches really make it as intentional as you did, and that's one thing that I always appreciated, and I think that's why that U17 summer was so special and fun for me because it was awesome. We won a lot and we had a great time and you, you went out of your way to also make us have those laughs and memories. Oh yeah. That, 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 and thank you for, for, for mentioning that. I mean, I think that's critical, right? Like I expect my players when they cross the threshold of the gym, like you better be ready to work and you better be ready to listen and, and get after it, um, you know, and compete, right? You, you got to right. compete. And I think as a coach, it's my job to make them compete and push them. And there's days where, you know, maybe you don't want to, or you're tired, or you're not focused. Well, it's my job to get you back on track. And, you know, if that means I got to yell at you or get after you, then, then that's what I'm going to do because I'm not willing to settle for less than, you know, my player's best. So they need mm-hmm. to be pushed, right? Yeah. So you, you play hard, you compete hard, you make it fun. Like, yeah. here, here's the funny thing, I think, for coaches. If you want your practice to sort of to be super intense but to be fun, then try to make them competitive all the time because yeah. that's why most players like to play. They want to compete, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for a lot of players who maybe don't get to play as much, their opportunity to compete is at that practice. So I think you just push hard, get after guys, hold them accountable, but 
yeah, I mean, once practice is over, like, hey, it's, it's time to move on, right? And, yeah. you know, when you get in the van and you're driving home or whatever you're doing next, like, yeah, have fun with it and, and, and don't 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 hold grudges and, 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 and don't be angry, even after games, too. I, I learned that. It took me a while to learn that lesson. Uh, yeah. about uh, how, how to lose properly because I'm, I'm ultra competitive, right? But yeah. one thing I learned is some of the best memories I, I've been able to have have been my relationships with my coaching colleagues. Like, there's nothing right. I like more than going out to Pit Meadows and kicking Goulet's ass. Like, it's the <laughs> greatest feeling in the world. And I'll tell him about it. But guess what? Yeah. He beats me. We're still going to go out for dinner and talk about it, and we're still going to go to a movie, or you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, like that's the part that I think is really important, and and I think the athletes that's something that takes a while to learn too. Mm-hmm. You're yeah, never, we... you're never coaching against or playing against your enemies. Like you're yeah. competing hard, and you want to kick, kick their ass, but when it's over, it's over, man. Like you know, yeah. Yeah, that I think is a super important thing, and I was so glad that I was able to learn that because uh, the coaching friends and colleagues that I've been able to learn from and 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 hang out with over the years um, have been enormous. Um, yeah. and uh, and I think that young coaches have to remember that. Yeah, I think it, it took me a while too, but I think yeah, you, you know, when the time comes in your heart that you think, all right, I, I want to walk away. Like, what's going to be more important to you? Like, yes, uh, you'll have a ton of young men or now they're, you know, older men that you've coached and you've seen them grow and learn. But then, like, do you want everybody that you competed against to just not pick up the phone and be like, hey, let's go for let's go for some dinner and catch up like that in the end should be more important than anything else. And I think that's such an important point um, that really compete your ass off. But when it's all over, you can still go have a laugh with someone and then. Next week, if it's a league game, try to kick their ass again. You know, that's vital stuff. And, you know, people don't believe this about me. Um, and a lot of ref- referees are rather shocked because, I mean, I, I nobody goes after refs more than me. And I, I've tried to improve over the years. I think I've gotten better. But the funny thing is, is like even in some games where, like, I think it's been screwed beyond belief, I usually am able to take a deep breath and I see that ref the next time and it's like, it's a new game. Now, some refs have a tough time with it because they, they, you know, referees tend to take things a little more personally. Uh, but, mm. You know, I mean, there's guys that have been refereeing my games, guys like Karn Dillon, um, you know, Steve Mawinney, uh, Todd Product. they've been refereeing my game since I was 21 and coaching in McGee, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, you're able to even have a friendship with them. Like, yeah, you get after them during a game because you're competing. But when the yeah. game's over, the game's over, man. That's the yeah. way I look at it. For sure. And I think, too, you know, someone like you, Ebe, who's, you know, louder and, and some of the, you know, the coaches out there that are a little more animated, if people were to just walk in a gym and, and see you and just make assumptions. But, I mean, you know, for me personally, I, I don't think of anyone further than, like, a Josh Masters, who I continue, like, you know, him and I keep in great touch. I text him all the time and we and we keep in touch. And just for when you think about how weird life is and, like, I don't know if Josh goes to Richmond or if Josh goes to Steveston, 
how does that go for him, right? There's, there's something that like your style and your personality and who you were in those moments, there's people that needed you in their lives too. And I think like a guy like Josh, if he didn't have you to kind of keep him on a path, who knows how things could have gone for him. And he'll be the first person to admit that, you know? And and um, so I think anyone that's going to make an assumption about you or hold some sort of grudge because you're, you know, a, kind of a louder coach, they just don't really truly know who you are and how many hours you've committed to the game. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, um, my, my mom and dad were like my biggest fan. My dad yeah. especially, right? They never missed a game. And um, there was a game at McNair. We were playing Lord Bing. And uh, Lord Bing, there's a writer named Tony Gallagher. He used to be a time writer, sports writer. For the of course. You know, back yeah. in the day when newspapers actually existed. Yeah. And, um, and so his sons played for Lord Bing. Now, I knew his sons because they had come to my basketball camps so and they used to run at McGee. And, you know, they were decent players. Well, very early in the game, uh, you know, who knows? I'm up yelling at the ref about something being myself. And and so Tony Gallagher made this comment like, oh, will you sit down and shut up? Right? So, and so my dad would never pay attention to anybody. He just would watch the game. My mom, like me, gets very emotional. She was getting very upset. And so finally she taps in the bag and says, hey, think that's appropriate to be yelling that you know at a high school game and he looks and he goes relax lady i'm not talking about your son i'm talking about that obnoxious coach and she goes excuse me that is my son and he just like stunned looks at her and goes no i don't believe you you're too young and anyway so uh <laughs> you know you certainly can't please everybody and and i understand like i'm very aware yeah. Uh, very self-aware guy. Like I know what I might look like, mm. but I do know when people have the opportunity to work with me uh, mm-hmm. or play for me, um, that those parents that might have been judgmental or might have been concerned about me, um, you know, once they actually get to experience uh, things I'm doing, it, it, I don't really ever have very many problems that way. Yeah. No, that's good. Thank you. Um and McNair sort of starts to wrap up, but I think it's interesting. The one thing I've always is like, I know that I love basketball, but there are years in your life where you are full-time coaching a high school, like a top-ranked high school team, and then you are coaching in the BCCAA slash PacWest. Can, can we talk about how you survived those years? I, I look back on those and I wonder, although yeah. I'm kind of doing it again, so I guess I shouldn't uh, say too much. I, I started, I've always wanted, it's always been a goal of mine, and we can touch on this a bit at, at the end, I know what some of your questions is, to be a full-time coach. Like, yeah. I wanted, I've always wanted to be like, you know, that's what I do fully for a living. And so... There was an opportunity at Cap College, and that was in uh, 1999. So I, I thought, I'm going to apply for this job, right? So I applied for it, and Cap was at a real low at that time, actually. Joe Acabella, the AD there, I'm sure who you know, Joe, because he would have been mm-hmm. there when you were there. Yep. He was actually considering folding men's basketball. It just hadn't gone well for a few years. It had lots of problems. So anyway, you know, here I am again. 
going to a school where I got to kind of rebuild and start from nothing like I did at McNair, but I was really excited about this opportunity. So he hires me. I'm like, yes, I'm coaching in college now. This is big time, baby. Yeah. And then I say, I look at the contracts, like, okay, you got to have your class four license because you got to drive a van when you go on trips. Uh, you know, uh, oh, and by the way, yeah, we're going to give you like a $5,000 honorarium. And I was like, oh, shit, maybe this isn't that much big time as I thought it was. You know, so, so yeah, so I started doing that in 99 while I was still coaching uh, the senior boys uh, at McNair. And, uh, I, you know, I, that was crazy, like, just especially with the drive. Right. But, yeah. you know, I had my big Lincoln Town car. So that $5,000 yeah. honorarium was gone in gas money pretty quickly. But, you know, I, I, I teach till three or 245 and I drive up cap practice from like four to six and then i drive back to mcnair for practice from like 7 30 to 9 30 you know uh, i mean i had lots of great guys uh, but at this time i'd really developed an unbelievable network of awesome guys that were assistant coaching for me and so you know i wouldn't have been able to do it without guys like <clears throat> you know greg bones leclerc and john red dog a cob and uh you know you who ended up helping coach later on and helped me at palmer and you know, I mean, I, I, I've had so many great assistant coaches, Dougie Baxter, who helped me with my last team at McNair that made the BCs. Uh, that was the Curtis Augustus team. So, you know, obviously it was a lot of hard work for me, but I've been very fortunate to make some great friends who, who have worked with me over the years, which helped make that a little bit more tolerable, I suppose. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think it's also good insight too, right? Um, uh, like I was chatting with my leadership class today and we talked about you know, they were, they did a little Q and A with me and someone said, you know, if you could go back with the things, you know, now, what would you think? And then I kind of talked, touched on that too, about, you know, full-time coaching, but I don't think people really realize, you know, the grind that it is. Um, and you really got to love the game and love seeing and love competing to, to coach kind of at that pack West and that level. Um, and things have gotten better over the years, which is good. Um, but it's still, you know, it's a big step. And and how did that go? Like, did you notice a big jump, or were you pretty comfortable with your style? And and when you when you made that leap to to the post secondary level coaching, um, you know, we've had one of your former guys on here and spoke very highly of you. And and I know that uh, you had a lot of guys moving on and and had some early talent at Cap, right? But yeah, I I, I, think I felt pretty prepared coaching wise. Um, because I, you know, don't forget by this time, you know, I'd already been, been coaching, yeah. you know, for, you know, like quite a while, right. You know, 15, 16 years, whatever it was at that point. Um, uh, but adjusting to the different level, not so much of the game, I felt really confident there, but you have to treat college age athletes much different than you would treat high school athletes and in my early teams there i, I kind of really learned that lesson uh, mm. of just sort of you have to let go a bit more um in order to you know because you're not just coaching 18 and 19 year olds sometimes in that league you're coaching 24 and 25 year olds right so you know they're men so you have to deal with those interactions a little bit differently. So I, I learned a lot about that. Um, you know, early on, uh, I managed to get some competitive teams, but man, Aaron, as you know, like there was some unbelievable coaches and teams back then. Like you yeah. had Pat Lee at Fraser Valley, 
He won three national titles. You had Kevin, who was just finishing at UBC, right, uh, his last year. But then, you know, you had like, you know, Novell Thomas for a brief time and Simon Dykstra. Um, yeah. You had Nevin Gleddy at, at, at what was then a Caribou College, now TRU. He won a national title there. Yeah. Um, Gord Thatcher at Commotion was just like an unbelievably good coach, like unbelievably talented coach. Um, you know, and Dave Monroe was at Douglas. And I mean, it, it was a tough league back then. It was a different league because a lot of the teams hadn't fled yet to, you know, to be lower tier CIS teams that they are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a lot of opportunity for me to learn. And, you know, I, I, I soaked it up and I got to know those coaches. You know, me and Pat had quite the rival. We didn't exactly get along too well at first. Uh, yeah. But but it was amazing how as I, as I stuck around a bit longer and learned things he was doing. And, you know, we ended up, you know, developing a good friendship. And so, um, yeah, I really enjoyed my years at Cap. We had a nice run, you know, from about 2003 to 2009. We... You know, we, we won a BC Championship, went to National Final Four. Um, and, but I did things a little bit differently, and I'm actually quite proud of it. Is I, unlike a lot of the schools in the league, I wanted to help move players to the CIS level. Mm-hmm. And so, because those opportunities were just shrinking and shrinking in, in the in the BCA in the Pac West. And I'm like, no, man, if you're good enough, but you got to work on your grades, or, you know, you're not quite your game isn't quite strong enough yet, you haven't grown into your body, come play for me for one or two years and I'll help you move on. And and, and I think we, well, I know that we moved more players to CIS school than pretty much the rest of the league combined. And I always was really proud of the fact that we were able to do that. That's cool. Yeah. No, and that was that was awesome. Like the what you were able to accomplish there, and like I think it, to to note as well, you know, you're you're over at Palmer at this time, and and Palmer starts to become <laughs> like a, like you guys are a provincial contender every year, right? Like you make the top five, you finish second. Twenty eleven, you guys win it all. Like the the balance of trying to do both is is crazy, but. Um, let's jump back over to those years at Palmer sure, and and Love some of those great Palmer man. Yeah, some of those great, you know, teams that you had the opportunity to coach and um and it's funny, right? Like you get to the the pinnacle of kind of winning it in 2011, but there were definitely some years before that that those those guys and those groups, this is what I'm sort of starting to get into things at STM that were you know, they were the foundation for those teams that were able to win it, you know, and talk about some of those special moments you had there. Yeah, so it's interesting, you know, Palmer um was a bit of a crossroads for me in my yeah. career. I, yeah. I I had left McNair uh, not not with the best taste in my mouth. I, I, I There were some issues that I had with the principal there, um, and there's also some issues I, I sort of had with the school board. And you know me, Aaron, I don't exactly hold my tongue, uh, which <laughs> you know, maybe I should have in some cases back then. But I, I, I moved to Palmer, and I, I was not in the best headspace at that time. I was really... Um, I would say I was really kind of not happy with teaching. And I mm. was really having some thoughts about, you know, is this, do I really want to continue with this? And so I started that year at Palmer kind of in a bad space. And my principal there was a, a guy named Jim Allison, who's an awesome principal. He was a former 
top level competitive hockey player. So, you know, he's a athletic guy, right? And he had been my vice principal at uh, Palmer for a couple of years. And, you know, he just came up to me and basically said to me, it was interesting. He mostly just said, you know, he said, you could be the best teacher in the building. Stop moping around and get your head out of your ass and start doing what you can do. <laughs> it was just the right message for me to get. Um, uh, you know, and, and uh, I got in a much better headspace and I decided that I wasn't going to coach high school that year would have been like the first year I hadn't coached. And and so I said, yeah, you know what? I can do a grade eight team, even though I'm still at cap, I can do a grade eight team. Well, it clearly was one of the best decisions I've ever made for me, not only personally, but professionally, because it got me excited about teaching and coaching in high school again. And I was just so blessed to have this amazing group of players in grade eight. They were, had one guy who could play, his name was Eddie Pham. He was a stud. And yes. rest, the rest of the team was guys who had never even played before, but they just bought in, you know. And I, I think the thing I'm most proud of is I coached those kids in grade eight, and by the time they were in grade 12, pretty much it was the exact same team. They Right. And, and I think you're doing things right if you can coach a group in grade eight and almost all of them decide to come back. So I, that was a really special group that sort of got – the ball rolling at Palmer and got the culture going. These guys were in the gym all the time. They would be there like at 7 a.m. Like I'm not an early morning guy. Like I would get there like at 8:17 and the bell would go at 8:18. But the other PE teachers, Ryan Strawn and Steve Glover, Glover played with my brother at UBC, by the way. Uh, <laughs> they would open up the gym at seven, and these guys would be there, and they just set the standard. Um, that for all the teams coming after them to follow. Uh, this group continually overachieved every year. Uh, it's funny, in grade eight, we, we were, I think, ranked fifth going into the playoffs, and we won the whole thing. And we were, I, I remember such our details. We beat Richmond High, and we beat them 38 to 36, mm-hmm. and Eddie Fan had 32 of our 38 points. <laughs> Now that's good coaching. Let me tell you. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah, we went on just uh, that team uh, to set the standard for uh, you know what Palmer basketball could be, and you know grade nine, ten, very successful. We made the final four in grade ten. In grade eleven, we had an all grade eleven team because there hadn't mm-hmm. been a senior team at Palmer for a while, um, and we just missed out making the BCs. And then the next year, uh, just. That team, I mean, we won the lower mainland, and the, that's against VC that had Trasolini and Scrub, and, you know, uh, I don't know how we won that game. It was ridiculous, but these guys just had an amazing will to win. So we mm-hmm. went in the BCs at a pretty high seed. We lost a heartbreaker to White Rock Christian. Um, White Rock Christian would prove to be thrown on my side for a few years. <laughs> um, but that got the Palmer ball rolling, and, and you know, we just had continually, you know, we had very good players, uh, but we, we also just, we had a real good system in place, and I had great coaches at the younger level, I had the gym being opened up every day, and so it just fed upon itself, and, and you know, we, uh, we run like eight consecutive Richmond titles, and, and, you know, three or four lower mainland titles, um, but the funny thing was, is, I knew we had a chance. We had a really good chance to win the B season in 2009. That was with Aaron Hare um, mm-hmm. and that really good group. And that's when we lost in overtime to White Rock Christian. Uh, it was a famous play in that game where we were up uh, one and we had oh, the ball. I remember this. And yeah. 
we had an inbounds play to, you know, so they call it, we call it timeout. And Aaron Hare and Matt Madawan ran into each other. And Aaron Hare got busted wide open. Like, there was blood everywhere. The game stopped for five minutes. And, and uh, we had to just foul out. We just had nobody left. And, and we lost that uh, overtime heartbreaker. I, uh, that was was funny. At that moment, I said, oh, my God. I don't think I'm ever going to win this thing. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, you, you just never know how many chances you're going to have, right? And it's, totally. also, it's also, you know, like, so many things have to go right. So... You know, we continued to plug away, and when Billy Chang and Ranjot Hare, when that group came to our school in grade eight, and then VJ joined us in grade 10, I said to my other coaches when they were grade eight, I said, you know, this is a team that I think could win the BC. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the, the, you know, that team was very successful at every grade level. Billy and VJ played with me on the senior team when they're both in grade 10, and, you know, and, and you know, played very well. And so then when we were in grade 11, um, we were going to play AAA. You know, there's only three tiers at that time. And we were all set to play AAA, and we thought we had a, a good shot. But, but I said to the guys, listen, I said, we're a double-A school. I think a lot of people don't know that about Palmer. We're, Palmer was a very small school, um, and we always played up at the highest tier. And I said to the guys, I said, you know, you guys want to think about going double-A this year. I said, I've always wanted to go up to Kamloops. It's an awesome tournament from what everybody tells me. I think we got a good shot to win it. And I just said, you guys want to think about, you know, resetting our goals so that we can win the provincial double A in grade 11 and the provincial triple A in grade 12. And so that was sort of a, uh, what I talked to them about. Uh, half of them really wanted to do it and half of them didn't. So but we ended up deciding to do it. And, um, you know, I don't regret the decision at all. You know, we had a great run. We made the finals of the double-A championship, and we played Britannia, a team that we were better than, a team that we had actually beaten by 20. But, you know, everything has to go right. And that game, Britannia played awesome, and we didn't. And so we lost that championship. We came second. But as I've told those group of young men ever since then, if we don't have that losing experience in grade 11, we don't win at all in grade 12 at the AAA level um, because anybody that remembers that time, we were playing VC in the final. I mean, I don't even want to go over the implications of this game. I mean, Vancouver College, a team that I have hated since I was a teenager because at McGee, you know, VC was our rival. So we always hated them, right? And they always beat us, which always made it even worse. Um, so it was a huge rival of us. And, of course, Dillsborough is now coaching there, my big rival from Richmond High. So we find ourselves down 19-2 to two after, like, eight minutes. I've used all of my timeouts, uh, both of them, in that first quarter. Plus, we had a third timeout for a TV timeout. And I just, like, I'm beside myself. Uh, but the guys refocused, they reset, I think, from what happened the year before. Um, and we came back, led by Jamie Madawan, who three miraculous threes to end the quarter, and you know the rest was history. We we won we won the BC championship, something that I had dreamed about since I was thirteen years old. So. What are you looking for during this pandemic time? Sometimes, after a long week of work, we just want to sit down and have a nice cold beer. Well, one of our sponsors, Parkside Brewery, can offer you that. Located 
at 2731 Murray Street in Port Moody. Parkside not only has an amazing indoor atmosphere during the winter season, it also has a great patio in the summer. Get down there, enjoy yourself a cold beer, or you can find them at any local government liquor store. Last thing, don't expect to go to Parkside and get any tips on how to become a better basketball player, because Sam Payne and Travis McLean, our good buddies, can't help you with that, but they sure can serve you a good beer. See you, Parkside. So I was going to ask you, so just after a couple days of reflection and waking up, sitting in the living room, staring at that blue banner, like when did it kind of kick in and sit, settle in that that's what you had, you know, you and your group had accomplished after so many years, like you talked about, it had to have just been like a crazy feeling. I, it really, really was. I, I was, I was actually completely overcome by it. Mm. I, I even talking about it now, I still am like, wow, you know, that was also the 50th year anniversary of mm. my father's team winning it and they no were way. all there they were there they were up in one of the skyboxes uh, almost everybody from his team was there uh, watching that game so you know that made it even more special so yeah it just um it was uh, an unbelievable feeling i i have to tell you it's hard to describe actually that's cool um you know, it's I funny. I, I always like i i do a lot of visualization right and i mm. i'm always thinking of you know what I'm going to say in this situation or visualizing, you know, scouting reports, whatever it is. And I visualized that moment, you know, literally for, you know, 30, what is it? I don't know, almost 30 years, I guess, yeah. uh, before it happened. And I, I assumed that I was going to be like Jimmy V, right? And I was just going to run around <laughs> and go nuts and jump on top of everybody. And, and like, seriously, like, I just broke down and started crying. <laughs> like, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Get yourself together, man. Yeah. I know, I know. No, it's good, and it's that's that's awesome. And then, um, can you just before we just the next step? You obviously Langara and, and had some important and fun things, but um, for maybe people that don't know about or you know that, can you talk about like just how fun? And you talked about the relationships you've had with coaches, but I don't need to know what happened behind the scenes scenes during this week. But good old fashioned. Uh, U17 and 16 super camp that was like that was an amazing week and it was probably one of the hardest weeks of basketball that I think a lot of athletes ever went through especially if they chose to kind of stay because we stayed it was at BCIT and like I said in the in your intro I, I remember on the Wednesday morning walking up up to the church and the carpet and having to do the beep test up there and then I'm like shoot man we've got like nine more hours of basketball here and <laughs> That was such a fun time, and and um, yeah, I know, yeah, the beep test. <laughs> I still, I still do it to this day. That a boy. Well, I mean, I don't personally do it, but I make my no. players do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I think what? I could get a solid two, though. I think I could get a solid two if I was doing the beep test right. <laughs> other than other than a free a free trip to Vegas with a bunch of teenagers, what was it about you that made you want to be a part of the the provincial teams over the years? Because you coached, I mean, so many different things within within basketball BC. Yeah, I'm I'm, I, I'm glad. I'm really happy to talk about BC team stuff. I'm, I'm glad mm -hmm. you want, want to shift to that because um, it was a huge, important part of my development as a coach. I had the opportunity to go to super camp, and it was over at U. It was held at UVic uh, oh, okay. in the gyms and in the dorms there, right? And so I had the opportunity to do that. Um, 
in would have been, I think, uh, yeah, I think 1989 or 90 when I I had coached at McGee, um, and it's funny because we had played Centennial in the first round. That was '86, and Chambers was at Centennial, and. Um, I'll never forget this. We beat them, and he, you know, and he came in after the game. He didn't know me at all, right? Mm-hmm. And he came in after the game to our change room and just wanted to congratulate all the players on playing so well and wishing us good luck the next day. And then he took me aside and he said, yeah, I said, I hope you do this for a while because I like the way you coach. You're like a street fighter out there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that was kind of my introduction to – you know, uh, one of the greatest high school coaches that we've ever had. Uh, I, I mean, I still consider, you know, I, when I talk about the holy trinity of high school coaches in BC, it's Chambers, Goulet, and Bach. And so yes. got invited to go coach at Super Camp. And nice. those guys, Goulet was there, Bach was there, Chambers was there. Uh, I mean, you had uh, Isabel was there because he was doing like the under 16s. And, and it was, you know, like you said, Super Camp was five days. And it was basketball from 8 in the morning till 8 at night. Yeah. And then as coaches, when we're supposed to try to get everybody to bed, then we'd go out and yes. we'll have beers and talk about players and talk about, you know, who knows what. And, you know, stumble back to the dorm at like midnight or 1 in the morning and get up at 7 and do it all again. And I can't tell you how much I learned at that. Those, those super camps that I got to do in those first few years. I mean, it was really an awakening for me of what I could become as a coach. And, you know, and then I was fortunate enough uh, in uh, 92 to be named Goulet's assistant. And I have to tell you something. I was terrified because I, had, I didn't know him that well yet, right? And everybody, of course, like, and, and you know, and Chambers was the worst. And, you know, oh, Eves, I don't know if you can handle it. Like, you're going to, oh, my God, he's going to, like, cuss you out, and he's going to make you do And so they had me set, they set me up that I was going to be coaching with this miserable bastard, right? So I got to coach with Goulet, and that was the Steve Nash team. I mean, what a, what a wonderful opportunity for my first provincial team coaching experience. Well, mm. I learned very quickly that, you know, Goulet was an unbelievably generous human being, mm-hmm. um, an amazing, amazing coach. And, um, you know, uh, he gave me quite a, a bit to do. And uh, I just ate it up. It was an amazing experience, um, you know, seeing uh, how he handled players. And he was so organized. Like, I learned how to really, you got to be so organized for your practices and, you know, down to the minute what you're going to do. Um, and, and again, he's a guy that, you know, over the years, a lot of people who don't know him would look at him and, and, and think, oh, who's this horrible human being yelling at all these players but mm-hmm. i mean as you know he's the most generous guy he'd do anything for his players and so i got to be his assistant for two years on two pretty dominant provincial teams mm-hmm. um and um you know when we Goulet loved to do evaluations right which are important but for some reason he thought doing an evaluation from like 10 p.m to 1 a.m in vegas was a good idea and so <laughs> He like he saves he saves Nash for like midnight interview. And Nash and him clash pretty good, right? Because two very yeah. strong personalities, right? Yeah. So I am like I might have slept two hours the night before. I was out perhaps, you know, gambling a little bit. And I can't stay awake. And so I'm sitting beside 
Goulet falling asleep and shaking my head. And Nash is laughing. Well, this is just pissing Goulet off. Goulet off even more, yeah. And so Nash was so mad. But it, I mean, yeah, he's a he's a beauty. Um, those super caps were, I think, amazing opportunities for me as a coach to grow and learn, and for players. I mean. We're playing yeah. against the best 50 guys from dawn till dusk every day. Uh, I, I, they were an amazing experience. I, it's unfortunate that we can't recreate that anymore. Mm-hmm. I've told Basketball BC over the years that, uh, you know, I, I, I know we've had to adapt and change, but from a, a coaching development perspective, it's unfortunate because I think if young coaches could be exposed to that again, we would be able to build up our coaching base uh, considerably from what it is now i would agree wholeheartedly um the summer so what about, of uh, what about the summer of 1995 i was just gonna ask the summer of 94 94, 94. sorry 94. yeah it was only the western canada game so they didn't have a national championships yeah, that's right uh did you have any stories you wanted to share about that or i do yeah, I, you've actually contained yourself very well, and also like you've you've called me Aaron like five times, and like I I, I I think that's five more than you've called me since nineteen ninety four. So yeah, no, no, that's that's the, very true. I, I apologize, but you've also called me Pollock. I have. It's pretty bizarre too. So let's fucking get over that and let's get back to Big Nasty or Mitch. Uh, okay, should properly be known. Oh, there you sorry, go. Corb, you got to okay. beat me again. I'm going to do a lot of work on this pod. Yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> the uh, the mic, the microphone and story is yours. I shall remain quiet. So, listen, this is a story that I have actually been dying to tell about you. I've never told you this one. Oh, boy. And it's actually, no, you know what, it's actually a... It's actually quite complimentary. I'll, I'll come up okay. with an insulting one as well. But, okay, perfect. Um, yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> so we're down in Vegas, and this was back in a time for, for everyone listening out there where, you know, the AAU, AAU basketball and summer basketball really wasn't that big yet. Um, it was only a couple tournaments, but the Vegas tournament, which was, you know, was the one where every single NCAA Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three—they'd all be at this. Um, and they actually, the rules back then used to be that um, you could only play man-to-man defense, and they had the four eight-minute quarters, and and they, everybody had to play like in the first half, you know, because you anyway. So, but they kept stats in every game. They kept stats for every team, and they published them for the coaches. So we had played three games, and we did quite well in our pool. I think we won two. And we had one more pool game to go. It was against a pretty good team. We needed to win it, win our pool. But also back then, coaches couldn't talk to players, but they could actually talk to me as the coach. So before the game, this coach comes over. I can't remember. I, I want to say it might have been Iowa or Idaho. It was an high school, not Indiana. Anyway, he says, he says coach, says, can you tell me who's this, this player that's putting all these numbers up for you? Number eight. Now, of course, everybody was wearing their jerseys at the time, their warm-up, so you couldn't see their numbers. So he points and he goes, oh, it must be that guy. And he points to Josh Masters. And I say, uh, no, it's not him. I say, he's pretty good, but no, not him. He's all. well, it must be that guy. And he points to Vital Peters. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's not that guy either. He goes, oh, well, which one is it? And I said, see that guy right there doing a lamp? I said, that's him. And he goes, oh. Thanks very much. And he walks away. 
<laughs> it was because it was you, Big Nasty. You were leading us in scoring and rebounding in that tournament at that time. And, you know, but I mean, coach comes over and I guess not quite the uh, Cadillac body he was looking for for his Iowa team. So right? I don't think I ever told you that before. No, you didn't. <laughs> I mean, I thought I would look, I'd look good in Iowa back in those days, wouldn't I? Well, well I, I think I would have. Yeah. <laughs> well, you went nice on me because I thought you were going to tell the Ace of Base story. So let's move on. So then we go to Edmonton <laughs> for the Western Canadians. And, and you also have to understand, too, the pressure on the provincial team coach back then was huge. Because we hadn't lost a Western Canadian in, like, I think it was seven or eight years in a row. And right. so, you know, you had to win, right? And we, of course, did. We dominated. I don't think we had a single close game. But yeah. I don't know if it was after our last pool game or our first playoff game, but we're driving in the van in Edmonton, heading back to wherever we were staying, and we come up to an intersection, and and all of a sudden, Ace of Base gets cranked on the radio. I believe it was I saw the sign, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. You're correct, yes. Okay. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, the guys are into it. We just won the game. The next thing I know, I look out the window, and in the middle of the intersection is... Mr. Aaron Mitchell dancing to Ace of Base without his shirt on. <laughs> and I guarantee you, this particular dance also featured some very intricate belly rolls. Yes. So, I mean, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. dear. That happened. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and it was awesome. It's just such a shame that there wasn't like you know cell phone videos back then. Oh. Are we sure that's a good thing? That would have gone viral beyond belief, baby. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's uh, still not safe for work. And then every now and then, like if if I on my Spotify, I'm like playing some '90s and Ace of Base comes out, I just text it to E right away. And we just get a good laugh. Automatically, yeah. man. Automatically. Yeah. Every time I hear that song, that's the visual I get. So you know, thanks a lot for that. <laughs> Well, oh, hey, no. it could be my it could be my current body and frame and just my underwear. So you know, I mean, like at least it was like close to my athletic peak a little yes, bit. You yes, know, it yeah, was a, that's true. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. So, no question about it. <laughs> yeah, I was never one for um, to, for being the introverted type. So we're yeah. not shy, my friend. You are not I, shy. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Good though, and, and like just the laughs alone, you know, to go back and, and you touched on so many good things about Super Camp and kind of just that process of bringing our young coaches up. Yeah, you, you make a very good point and hopefully we can at least get to a point where maybe something like that does happen again. I mean, you think of the days of the team camps with Goulet and those things where you're just experiencing oh, so many. Yeah, like I know you've talked about team camp with other mm -hmm. coaches and other players. And I mean, that was a highlight. Every year I would take my McNair team to that. You know, we'd drive out there, spend all day out there, get our instruction in the morning from, you know, from Doc or from or from Richie or from Ben Oss or the Prince, whoever it was, yeah. um, you know, and then you play your games and, and uh, yeah, that was, um, you know, I, I, I think that's actually something that possibly could still be done. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I've talked to other coaches about, you know, seeing if at some point there might be interest in sort of getting that going again, because I mean, I think at its peak, 
you know, he had like 40 or more teams at this thing. Oh. And I, I mean, shit, I think three or four of them were living in a condo. And right. then the rest, the rest were staying at the, uh, at the, at the uh, portable Terry Fox, right? Like, yeah, you know, it was, it was an inexpensive way to just have an amazing basketball experience. I, I, I think, and again, I think for my McNair teams, that was a huge part of our development, being able to do that every summer. So that, yeah, that really I mean, was an awesome thing. Yeah, and like if you have a group that you think has some opportunity to, you know, be competitive, they get to just measure themselves right away. They don't have to wait for a semifinal of some tournament in Kelowna or something to have this pressure pack. They've already seen these athletes. They know they and 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 it lets the smaller schools or smaller communities see the bigger guys and actually play against them and go, okay, you know, like if we work at this, maybe we can get there, right? And it was so fun, such a well-run thing. Yeah, Goulet's the man. Anyways, um, your, your next move. So you I don't. Know, you, I, don't I don't actually know, man. If, yeah, yeah. If your listeners are going to be able to concentrate for the rest of this podcast after with that vis- story. With, no, with that visual, I, I think it, 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 they're going to have to really focus if they're going to want to hear the rest of this. Well, you. you, you I mean, you did talk about uh, visualization, right? So you <laughs> know, this right. is a gr- great, oppor- great opportunity. Not that one. Oh, there we go. I was waiting for that. I opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. <laughs> Red light, middle of Edmonton. Sorry, we don't need to, uh, you know, rustle any of the feathers of the... I'm already a married man, right? So let's move on. But by the way, before <laughs> yeah. you quickly move on, I yeah. mean, what a great, what a great team that was. Like, oh. I mean... It was a phenomenally talented team. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, actually... Tony, Tony McCrory, for crying out loud, like, I don't know if people know just how amazing a player Tony McCrory is. Like, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Wink, wink, great. wink, wink, Tony. Yeah, Tone. He's being oh, shy. He's, he's, he's being so shy. shy. <laughs> yeah, he's being shy about being on the, yeah. yeah. See, Eve knows. Oh, yeah. do I ever. Yeah. Awesome. Loving it, man. Okay. So then like Langara College, right? Why, why the transition that was the timing just is something you just felt right in your heart. And we, we have to touch on probably the craziest, like people need to go on YouTube and watch <laughs> that, that game that you experienced. Um, yeah. and, and, and just talk about your time at Langara and, and why you moved over there and how that's been for you. You know, Langara was a, a very pleasant, and I was not expecting. It's been an amazing kind of surprise for me. I I stopped coaching at Cap in two thousand nine, so mm. I did ten, ten years there, um, and it just it was you know it was just getting too hard. And you know, I really wanted to focus in on my high school guys, you know, for the next few years, right? Um, so I stopped coaching in two thousand nine, and I really didn't. I had no thought or idea in my head that I would ever return to the Pac West. Like I, you know, I did it. I loved it. And, you know, now I wasn't, uh, I just didn't occur to me that I would have an opportunity again. So I'm coaching at Palmer and then get a call from uh, Jake McCallum, um, who reaches out to me. He had taken over and been the head coach there at Langara and also the AD and he needed to just move and focus on his AD responsibility. So he was stepping down from the coaching position, um, and it was vacant. And so Jake just invited me in for a conversation about it. And um, 
the funny thing about that meeting was I hadn't been to Langara for a while. I parked on the street, right? It was, yeah. I went in the I went in the afternoon. Yeah. Well, the meeting went long. Didn't they know. Finished till like three thirty, and I walk out, and my car's gone. I got towed. <laughs> So I'm thinking, and I'm sure Jake was thinking the same thing. Oh, this is not a good start. Like, yeah, yeah. he's not going to come here. I, I had a really good talk with him, and um, I only lived at that time five minutes from Langara. So the commute would be nothing because, you know, I'm 15 minutes from Palmer and five minutes from Langara. And I just, I, I like the challenge again. And I wanted to, to, to do it again. So I said yes. Um, and, um, I mean, am I am I ever glad I said yes? That was 2013, and yeah. I knew they had a good team. Jake had assembled a, a very good group of players. I'd seen them play the year before because I'd been doing some color commentating on Pac West games, mm-hmm. and um, so uh, I thought that it could be a pretty good team. So I, I said yes, and uh, I'm so thankful that, that Jake talked me into it because um, this turned out to be another amazing group of young men. Um, very amazing group. So uh, from the first moment, this was kind of also the first time I'd gone to a program where I didn't have to start from scratch. Like they, you know, as you know, Langara's well-established in men's basketball and they've had great coaches and they said they could assemble some very good players. And so the very first time I met with them as a team, I, I said to them in, in the classroom upstairs there, I said, you guys have the ability to win the national championship. But if you don't learn how to be disciplined, you're never going to win. And that was my main focus with that group was teaching them how to be disciplined uh, because they had the talent. I added a couple of pieces that first year, um, you know, to help out. Jesse Jefferts was one that I added. Um, And so we actually, in 2012-13, sorry, I took over 2012, you know, we were number one team in the country for most of the year. Uh, we went uh, you know, 20 and one in league play. Uh, we won the Pac West, and we head off the nationals as a number one seat. Um, and this was a very deep team. Like I, I was playing eight, nine, ten guys every game. I think we had six guys in double digits. And you know, we go into that. We win our first game easy in the semifinal. We just again, it, it was just a devastating loss. Like you know, it's one of those things I was saying before. Like everything has to go perfect, right? So we're up. We're up two uh, with 22 seconds to go, and they had a really good guard, but he wasn't a good shooter. So I wasn't worrying about him shooting threes. I kind of wanted him to. So sure enough, oh, sorry, we were up, my apologies, we were up, we were up three. We were up three. But I, I, I didn't, I was okay with him shooting. There other guys we didn't want to shoot. So he launched it, and it was a horrible brick. And we had like three guys in rebounding triangle like, we're getting the rebound, following us. We're going to the finals. The ball jams between the rim and the backboard. Now, okay. how many times a year do you see that happen, Mitch? Oh, like, uh, maybe once, maybe. maybe like 0.25, like once every yeah. four years. Yeah, right. Like that <laughs> never happens. Yeah, but it jammed. <laughs> they had the jump ball possession. Of course. And so that's, that's, that's a jump ball when that happens. So they got the ball back. And this time, this really good guard, you know, fakes shot. He goes to the hoop. And I'm thinking, okay, just, it's okay. Just don't foul him. <laughs> well, you know what happened. He goes for the layup. One of our guys tries to block him and won. 
Uh, oh my god. He hit right. it too? So uh yeah, he made the basket. So now he's gonna shoot a free throw to tie the game. I had all three of my timeouts. This guy was not a good free throw shooter. I called a timeout. I waited till he almost got the ball. I called another timeout. So I saved one, right? And mm-hmm. uh he bricks it. He bricks it badly. He bricked it so badly. Oh no. Holland got the offensive rebound. Oh. And they put it back in score. I mean, like it's it's unbelievable kind of choke by us, but just also some bad luck. So there's like three seconds ago, I used my last time out. We advanced the ball. Elliot got a shot off, didn't make it. We lose. Devastating. Like it's yeah. devastating. And what made it worse for us, Mitch, was that <laughs> VIU who went in as the number six seed. They uh. upset. They upset in both rounds. They made the final. Well, we were four and zero against VIU. Like, right. they weren't going to beat us. I'm sure Matt would disagree, but we were 4-0. We had their number. We felt pretty good we had to play them in the final, but we lost. So, all credit to them. I mean, Matt's in his first year coaching, for crying out loud. Like, yeah. I know you talked to Matt, and he's a bit of a, you know, he's not a real bragging kind of guy, but his accomplishment, winning a national title in his first year, yeah. is unbelievable. <laughs> so, they went on to win it, which, of course, made our guys even more bitter. But... As I talked about with my Palmer guys, I think if we don't go through that learning process and that, you know, failure, I don't think we would have had the resiliency to win the national title that we won the following year in 2014. Even if you you have a good group and they stumble and don't make Nats or you lose first round of Nats, but to get like that close and then see it, it's oh. like, and then the guys want to come back even more, right? Like no one's going to flake out. It's like, hey, we got to get this done, right? And, and seems like yeah. you're a, a team yeah. on a mission for that whole next year and what a crazy opportunity right like you guys were able to host the nationals a couple of years ago as the langara host but you know this year it's at quest so it's essentially a home nationals for you guys and you know that crowd was crazy and and there's so many great moments and you know brody is just an absolute stud and and uh, you know just so many crazy things but if people haven't seen the youtube video of of that lloyd strickland like that is you can't script it again and, and, and i think when people think like you know in eve's brain it's like oh this is never going to happen but it's like think of the stories you shared with us already and it's because you've been around the game so long so you're going to have crazy moments but these are high impact like pressure filled games and i'm sure at some point you were like oh frick here we go like he's not yeah. making that one yeah so we go in there again as the number one seed. And again, people forget we had to beat VIU again because only right. one team was going to get to go because Quest had the host birth. Mm-hmm. And we beat them in a very close BC championship game. Um, yeah. Make it. So, I mean, just getting there was actually, you know, a big accomplishment. So we get there, and now, of course, we're friggin' playing like, you know, the best athletes in the country. Um, and I know I'll talk about that a little bit when we host it. People got a chance to see how amazing some of these players are. So we get a, yeah. a fairly easy first-round game um, uh, against, uh, oh, my goodness, I can't remember. It was an Alberta school. Anyway, we, we beat them quite easily. Then we play Vanier. Now, people don't, people, they remember the final, but we were down 10 with a minute 23 to go against Vanier. We were down 10. And it's one of the craziest comebacks I've ever seen. Um, We end up going on a 12-2 run in the last minute 23 to tie the game. 
And I mean, in Vanier's backcourt, both of their guards after that season went NCAA Division One. Right? They were a hell of a team. So that comeback is probably one of the you know next to maybe the comeback my Palmer team did is one of the greatest comebacks I've ever had a team do. And down ten with a minute twenty three to go. So we make the final against Red Deer. A uh, very well-coached team, and, you know, Clayton Krellen from Kitsilino here is on that team. And it's a great game. Back and forth. Uh, they actually get a pen on us in the third, and then we get a tie as 10 in the fourth, and we are up uh, with 23 seconds to go. We're up seven. And I'm standing up, by, and I'm ready. I This time I'm running out on that court, <laughs> like I'm ready. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And Lloyd Strickland, who was their guard, a very talented player, a small guard, he was a very good player, but we had held him in check. I think he had only hit one three all game. So they run an out-of-bounds play for him, little zipper screen, bang, he hits the three, so they cut it to four. I I don't call a timeout in this situation. I've got all my timeouts left, but I just trust our guys, and I trust that Brody's going to get the ball, which is exactly what happened. So they, they foul Brody Gregg. He goes to the line. He makes two. Now, Read your coach, he had no timeouts left. So they inbound it, struck and dribbles it, takes a couple of dribbles over center, pulls up from 35 feet, swish. I, what? <laughs> okay, that's fine. It doesn't matter. You know, we're still up, you know, we're up three. We inbound it right away. You know, Dick gets it inbounds, they foul Brody. Brody steps the line, swish, swish. I think you had like a cream colored suit on, didn't you? You took a big I, risk I, with I had- that. Yeah, I, I, I'm usually the man in black. I had the tan, yeah, tan yeah. sort of brown suit. But I don't know if you noticed, I did have the championship. I had the Michael Jordan tie on. Okay, yeah. That Michael, the record of that Michael Jordan tie is something like 22 and three, and it's won a bunch of BC championships. And it's won anyway. Yeah. It, it, that tie is very important for me. So, yeah, I was wearing a, a different outfit. You're right. I don't know why you would notice that. You know, yeah, I don't know why was, either. At least look not too fat in it, like you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, honestly, usually yeah, I wear black, and other colors don't make my body look very good. So I'm a little sensitive <laughs> about that, right? So was I okay? Absolutely, I okay, remembered good, it. Good. Okay, I feel better. Now. Yeah, yeah. So now we're up five because Brody makes two more free throws. This time they set a couple screens for him. He pulls up from about you know you know 25 feet. And if you watch it, I think it fouled him. They mm. didn't call it, thank God. Anyway, he hits another three. Mm. So he's hit three threes now in like 12 seconds. So we inbound it again and get it to Brody. And Brody goes down and makes two free throws. So, you know, now we're, we're up four. So it's still a two-possession game, right? Yeah. He comes down again. And, you know, the great coach that I am, I don't consider maybe like quadruple teaming him. Um he hits another one. This dude hit four threes in 23 seconds. Unreal. So now we're up one. So there's like 2.5 seconds to go. But we get into Brody and they foul him again. So I'm like, okay, this time after Brody makes two, we're, we're just going to foul him as soon as he's like, it's the ball and bounce, right? Yeah. He makes the first, he misses the second. They throw it down court, and it gets tipped out of bounds with, like, 0.7 to go. Or maybe not even that, maybe 0.5. And I'm just like, oh, my God, if this kid touches the ball, we are going to lose the national championship. 
Yeah. So we don't guard the inbound rule. We double team him. They they can't even get the ball in bounds. It trips, it goes out of bounds, and and we managed to win. Uh, you know, I think whatever it was, uh, eighty four, eighty two, or whatever we won by two, and uh, the rest is history. But, yeah, honestly, you're right, uh, Mitch. If any of you out there, just Google Lloyd Strickland uh, basketball, and I mean hundreds of thousands of hits this thing has of him just going crazy. I've never seen anything like it in my entire career. And I, it was just agonizing because it's like, okay, we're going to win. It's like, oh, my God. Emotions in those last 28 seconds were crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, I trusted those guys. And uh, despite Lloyd Strickland's insanity, uh, we managed to hang on. And, 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 again, winning a national title was just another dream of mine, something that I thought maybe could happen. But, you know, until it actually happens, you never know. And uh, yep. went on on in our province. I mean, the gym. Quest is a small gym, uh, yeah. but there was like a thousand people in there, and the floor was just flooded at the end. And with so many of my past players there, not just from Langara, but from Palmer and even from Cap, and and it was such a just an amazing, joyful experience. And that group was a really, really special group of guys, and so talented. And I, I, I would be remiss, like. Those guys are awesome, all of them. But mm-hmm. I think people really need to understand how good a player Brody Gray is. Mm-hmm. Most people haven't even heard of this dude. And yeah, like you know, when you, you when when you ask me at the end, I'll, I'll give it away now. Like, who's the greatest players I've ever coached in terms of college? You know, yeah. it's not even close. And I'll even tell you this: I, I don't. think I've coached a better player than him, except for Steve Nash. That includes all my provincial team coaching. Wow. He, he, he is phenomenal. Um, and it was kind of a marriage made in heaven because the system that we run, the offensive yeah. fast break transition yeah. system that we run, was absolutely perfectly suited to what he could do. Um, right. He averaged a triple-double at the national championship. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, no... Uh, Phenomenal player, and I was very lucky to not only coach him, but be able to coach those other guys uh, at Langara who, who brought home, you know, first national title there since. Um, uh, whose team might it have been? Won the last one before that. Well, I, I think it's cool that the bond that you guys have created too. And I know Paul Nack obviously was a huge part of that. And, you know, just seeing, you know, we had, I can't remember what it was, um, Langara put on it a thing. And, and just to see, like, you know, there was a bunch of guys from my era and then your guys' whole crew that could have at least made it. And I think that's special, right? And it's not just because you won it, but just, you know, you're coaching along so many years. You've seen so many different groups, but there's, you know, sometimes there's just those groups that just just have a little bit more and you don't want to compare, but there's something different about it. Right. And you could just see how you guys interact and how you are. Um, what a, what a crazy, just special opportunity and just one of the wildest games. And I remember I called you because <clears throat> that was the year that we ended up winning, right. At, at, at STM, uh, at STM. So I could, so I and could that make was the it one year that it was at the same time. Right. Like the only year it was at the same time. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I actually remember that. Yeah. So I, was, I was following that. I was, you know, I was still president at that time, so that's you know, right. I was, I was closely following uh, following the the BCs as well, and right. and you know, you you you're winning the first ever AAA uh, at the same time. That was cool. Yeah, it was cool, but just like 
waking up to all these messages. And then my wife and I had plans. We were going to Maui the next day. And then I didn't even get a chance to really like see what had happened. You just hear these stories. And then I watched it. Right. I was like, holy frick. I don't know. Like, to be honest, in my, however, you know, way less years than you of basketball, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that. Like, it was insanity. (laughs) And like you say, you talk about a guy like Brody, like the ability to, like, step up every single time. I mean, he missed one of two at the end, but, like, at some point, someone's thinking, like, how is he still making these? You know, and he made them, like, with nobody, there was was nobody lined up from your guy. Like, it was, it was crazy, man. It was, but awesome. And someone who had a great experience at Langara, and that was a really big turning point in my life. It brought me a lot of pride as well as a former Falcon to just, you know, when Jake's a good friend of mine, and I knew that he worked hard to build that program, and I know he's prideful as the athletic director. So for you guys to get to that level again was super, you know, it made me really happy. And I know a lot of other guys as well. So, um, you know, thanks from, from our half, but also like good on you, man. And, and basketball's given you a lot of challenges to your heart and health. I would imagine. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yes. Yes, it has. And, uh, you know, some of those, you know, stories that I've shared that have happened in like our championship games, like, I mean, there's a million other similar stories that have happened at all times of the year in high school, college, provincial team, everything. So yeah, yeah you, uh, I, I'm, I'm fortunate at this time, my memory is still really good. Like, it's right. funny, you know, when I, I talk to players, you know, that played for me in the past, you know, like I'll talk to you or Harv from McNair and yeah. they'll talk about a certain game and I'll go, no, that's not true. You only yeah. had 15 in that game. Like, I, I remember that stuff. <laughs> I remember scores. Yeah. I remember stats, but like, be driving to work and you know, and I'll forget my goddamn keys at home. You know, like, <laughs> like, so when it comes to basketball, I just uh, seem to be able to remember everything, which is awesome because it's so cool when I run into all of the, you know, the young men that I've, I've got to coach over the years and and share stuff with them. That that makes and you know, right now, thank Gara, my two assistants are two ex Palmer guys. So yeah, um, you know, get to hear a lot about uh, the Palmer days as well, talking to them. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, that's cool. And and um Corp just picture like Eve at Super Camp, you know, pulling a kid out and doing like fake wrestling. Well, we know wrestling is real, but <laughs> you know, for the health of the young athletes at Super Camp, like just an a famous elbow drop or you know pretending to throw a guy off the turnbuckles and just like absolutely Yeah, you remember we <laughs> I used to set up ropes. Oh like yeah. The players would hold their hands together and yeah. you know, run over the guy and come back and the yeah. leg drop or yeah. I mean John Tenta earthquake. Yes. Like I John I played one year I played summer league with my brother's team. Yeah. And front line of my brother's team was the Randa brothers, who were star players at North Surrey. John Randa went on to play he was like one of the leading rebounders in division one. He played um uh, oh man, Idaho, I think. Uh, okay. Anyway, what am I talking? Anyway, he 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 won the BCs and he was like six eight, like two eighty. His brother Kirk Randa was like seven feet two twenty, and they had a buddy who didn't really play a lot of basketball. His name was John Penta, and he was like six eight, like three hundred pounds. That was our front line, and so funny because the Randa brothers would say to me, they say he. Shoot as much as you want, man. Don't worry about it. We'll get every rebound. Don't worry about it. And <laughs> that was a fun group that I got to play with. Um, my brother let me play. Uh, so it didn't matter if I was bad on that team. 
the reason I, I go to this is because you talked about wrestling, and I did enjoy doing wrestling, but I still do, although wrestling's not the same as it once was. Um, uh, and times have changed a little bit, too, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Um, John Tenta, after high school, he went to become a sumo wrestler. In Japan. No way. And he got up to like 500 pounds and he was top sumo. He came back home and Vince McMahon hired him in the WWF. And his name was Earthquake. John Penta. I don't know if you remember him. You should I remember know the him. Earthquake? Yeah, he's from North Surrey, man. No way. Yeah, John Penta was his name. And his move, he was, cause he was so he large. The guy'd be lying on the ground that he'd bounce around them with yeah. two feet. So to create yep. the earthquake in the ring, and then he just sit on it, and yep. so that was the reason it got to that story is because that was another move that I used quite frequently was the earthquake. That is awesome. I am googling him right now and looking at photos. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. Corbs is like, what is going on right now? I'm googling him right now. <laughs> a, a, a really a, the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. Sadly, he, he died young uh, of cancer, but uh, boy, was, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's just so funny that you talk about that because that immediately reminded me. And I, your viewers need to know about John Penta, man. There you go. Love it. This is, this is why we have you on. <laughs> Sorry, I know I'm completely off topic. I apologize. No, I brought it up. I brought it up. Yeah, you that's, did, actually, yeah. Yes. Oh, that's on me. Um, <laughs> you ready to get to it here? Oh, are you kidding me? Listen, I hope I know I've already taken up a ton of time here, but no, this is the most important part. This 100%. is the part I'm the most fired up about, and I you know wait. I'm going to have some pretty strong opinions on this stuff. Yes, I do, and I didn't tell Corbs because I wanted him just to experience it. Okay, I might throw in a question in there too. We'll see. Oh, oh. hey, you know oh. what? Hey, by the way. Nasty. Whatever yeah. happened to the Corp question? You always used to let him ask a question, and then all of a sudden, like, last, like, dozen podcasts, no questions for Corp. I mean, Corbin? was he just... Yeah, what happened to that? Corbin? Well, this, is an, this is an interrogation. Would you like to answer this? Corbin, you just, you know what? You didn't want to ask questions anymore? You're too afraid? What's going on, buddy? Come on. It, it became... Uh, you know, it's going to sound like excuses for the listeners, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, like with those questions, I you know I try to deep dive into. I try to look at all their interviews. All, I'm trying to not ask questions that they've already answered, right? So, and then when school started up and when coaching wow. started kind of getting oh. taking up a lot of time, uh, just just, oh. just couldn't find the time to uh, do my my deep dives. Corbis, could you sorry. play some? Could you play some violins in the background yeah. right now? Yeah. I was going to say, I was just that. searching violins on Spotify. Are you Hold serious, on, man? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. I got you. For the record, every episode I look at Corp. <laughs> you know, I just there had school go. and then coaching, and I just wasn't <laughs> able to ask one question of the guests. Oh, I want to make it a good question. It was very hard for me. That's, that's, that's hard to have. You have one question, you got you to make it good. Also, well, what happened to is is Corbs? What would happen? You'd have a question, and and what would happen? I would bring it up during the interview, yeah. unfortunately, yeah, and, and steal that's it. That's why so. there's also partly this the sad yeah. violin music oh. playing right now. Yeah. You know, Corbs, that should have been your answer immediately. Selfish pig of a host, Aaron Mitchell, would steal <laughs> <Actually>, your question. 
But see, here's the thing. He, he doesn't want you to shine. He's got to be the guy. <laughs> it's a hoops tourney with Aaron Mitchell, and then a tiny little parenthesis Corbin Castro. I mean, obviously. I can just edit it. I can edit my first answer out and just pretend that was my first answer, right? So, no, I'm no, you can't now. You can't do it already. I'm all about integrity and authenticity on the pod, so. Corbs knows that we've had this conversation and I've asked him many times. He's just a little more introverted and we're working on it, but we have okay. mentioned and, and Corbin, did I not say over the weekend, we need more Corbs on the show. Uh, well, that's why I have some, uh, I might be Sim- asking simple a yes or no. Lighting question, yeah. Okay. So you're ready. All right. Did you want to ask it now? No, I want to, I want, I want to, you know, give, uh, give coach, uh, you know, some comfortability and then let's hit him with some heat. Later. Okay. Yeah, right. because I'm so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> okay, let's go. Let's go. All right, let's get the easy one out of the way. The greatest player that you've coached. Oh, come on. That's not the easiest. Okay, so uh, again, you know, I like to be prepared for things and look ahead. So I'm going to divide this up into categories. So I'm going to High school, college, like BC team, national team, if that's okay. Yeah, that sounds good. You, yes, sir, absolutely. Okay, so obviously, you know, I, I got to work with Triano in the national team from 2000 to 2004. One of my, another, so lucky to have that experience. Um, so obviously, I'm going to, instead of using Nash for BC team, I'll use Nash for national team. That was okay. the last time he played. And we, we were playing China at GM Place. Um, and it was Yao Ming's first ever game in North America. And so it was a huge, there was like 13 or 14,000 people there. And I just remember walking out in my Canada golf shirt with the other coaches and just looking around. And, and that was such a, a, a wonderful experience for me because it's something that's been a goal of mine to be able to, you know, represent my country. And I, I got a small opportunity to do that. So, mm-hmm. so Nash. Uh, that was his last game that he played uh, for the national. Team. No way. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was his last game. Uh, so, BC team. Um, I'll take I'll take Kelly Olynyk. Um, Kelly is an amazing story. I he didn't make our under seventeen team his first year, so I coached him on the red team, the uh, under seventeen development team, and he was about I want to say he was about six six. Okay. Um, he was a good player, right? He was a very good, he was our best player. By next summer, he had grown six inches. He was like six eleven, seven feet. It was unbelievable. I've never, and, and he was amazing on our BC team that year. And I'm not, I'm not exactly a class half full guy. You know, I might be a bit of a, but he's the only, uh, right. I've just, I, you know, that's, I think that's fair. Yeah. I never predicted um, any players that I thought coming out of, BC could have the ability to make the NBA, except for him. Hmm. And and I I just had this feeling when he was finished high school, like, you know what? If he goes to the right program and makes the choices and gets the right break, I think he's going to be in the NBA. And people told me I was crazy, but I got that one right. So I'm coaching Kelly O. The best player I've ever coached in college is Brody Gregg. Um, Mm -hmm. As I said, you know, one of the best players, period. Now, high school, I think people might be surprised by this, but the best player ever coached is actually a guy named Fraser Jefferson. Okay. And that was my very beginnings when I was at McGee. 
Uh, Fraser played for me as a great man. He was a starter for all three years uh, at McGee. Um, and he was like, he averaged 33.3 points a game in his senior year. Um, and, and yeah, he did. And we didn't have that great a team. Uh, and he led us in rebounding and he led us in assists and he led us in toughness. Uh, he went on and played down south. He came back to UVic and decided to play rugby instead. And he played rugby there. Great athlete, great player. Fraser Jefferson. Nice. Awesome player. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, he had uh, 11 threes in a game, uh, one of our games. So, anyway, phenomenal. That's legit. That's the greatest players I've coached. Love it. I know you're passionate about this food topic. Okay, before you move to that, I know it's your pod. Uh, no. So, you know, I'm not trying to be bossy, but, you know, do you but not want to be... know who the greatest players I've coached against is? Sure. Go I got for a it. List, I got a list for you on that, too. Ooh, okay. okay. So, so BC, BC team, uh, we got to play, uh, I, we got to play against Anthony Bennett. We get to play against Kevin Pangos. I think, I think you were coaching in Kamloops when you, U15s. yeah. And you saw yeah. Pangos as an, right. So but the best player I had to coach against was a guy named Steve, Sir. And ah. that was when we lost the nationals at Cap College. Um, to his Alberta team, we lost in the final. And you remember back in the day, you remember Sports Illustrated used to have like faces in the crowd where they, yep. he actually made Sports Illustrated with his performance in that game. He just lit us up. Oh my God, it was so frustrating. Anyway, right. he was the best C team player, of course, against college. Wayne Jones was pretty damn good at Fraser oh, Valley. Yeah. A point guard, he came from Australia and, and played out in Abbotsford. Usama Zaid, who played for VIU uh, a few years ago. Oh, my goodness. What a stud. I mean, okay. oh, so good. He actually got an invite uh, to the Phoenix Suns NBA tryout camp. That's how good this guy was. Um, and the best player I've ever coached against in high school, and you'll know this dude, it's Navi Seacom. Yes. I was at McNair. We played them at McNair. They beat us 84 to 82. And he had 40, I think he had 48. Yeah. And then we played them again in the finals of their tournament. And this is the only time in my coaching career I've ever done this. We played a triangle and two. I put two guys on Navi. So three guys played the zone and two guys chased him. And managed to hold him until I think 23. That's with two guys guarding him. And we lost that game by two as well because the other guys wide open 10 footers yeah navi wow. was the truth man he could play he sure could he was a bucket now is steve sir did is this the guy did, did he go division one yes he did yeah yes so it yeah. says here steve sir named one of the century's best college three-point shooters ranks number four ahead of such luminaries as stephen curry and jason capono so he's wow. ranked higher than those guys for college three point shooting. I didn't. I mean, I knew he, you know, he had a successful. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. and so he Ross lit Shepherd. us up. At, he just lit us up at Cap College, man. Crazy, awesome. Shout out Navi Seacon. Love that one. Delta Pacers represent Nick Day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, and you see, this is a, you. You've coached and been around so many different players. Okay. Uh, talk to us about ketchup on macaroni. Coach Eberhardt. will not take long to discuss. No yeah. fucking way. John McZimmerman, cover your ears right now. Please just don't listen to this part. Skip like, the next minute. And Never, ever 
is it appropriate? And you know what? I honestly believe if you're teaching your like, you know, oh, say like some of your people say, oh, well, you know, when you're six or seven years old, hey, if I had a seven-year-old kid and I let him put ketchup and macaroni, that's pretty close to child abuse, man. You cannot <laughs> allow that to happen. Corb, what did I say to you just yesterday? You asked me. You said something about Eli and macaroni. What did I say? No, don't don't even give him an option. Doesn't come out. No, Does not even. It's not even a choice. There's no option. No, and it's don't not even there. get me started with ketchup on on yeah, hot dogs. dogs either. Like, Let's oh go. God, I'll lose okay. my mind. Yes. I'll okay. You on that one. So I am team. I, now listen. I am team ketchup on hot dogs. Now stop. Stop. Okay. But uh, I have three. I have I have two two really good buddies that live in Chicago, born and raised in Chicago. And I told them, I said, if you can get me a video of both of you singing the Canadian national anthem word for word. I will never have ketchup on a hot dog again. I have yet to get that video. But you oh, are you are very okay. you will you Listen, will social media this. So whoever those do, whoever the floor those is yours. Are, they got to sing the national anthem so you stop it just to save you, Aaron. I call you Aaron because I'm so upset right now <laughs> that, you, that you would do that. <laughs> yeah, go, you're to very... YouTube, go to YouTube and Google "Dirty Harry Hot Dog," and you will see a video of Clint Eastwood as Dirty Harry talking about why you shouldn't put ketchup on hot dogs and maybe that'll help steer you the right way it's not allowed hey what aaron aaron why don't you just take a giant <laughs> container of sugar and just pour it on your hot dog because that's all you're doing with ketchup you're just pouring sugar on it come on man <laughs> you've heard it here all right so dom, then what you, do you, what do you listen you, again dom what do you put it. on a hot dog Paul Must, mustard. Okay, you can put onions on a hot dog. Yeah, right. You know, if it's an if it's a nice like you know a good bratwurst or you know you can put sauerkraut on it. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, but that's it. Okay, all right. The man has spoken. Um, <laughs> in your mind, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Okay, now this one um, is going to be. Is he licking his fingers and flipping through the paper, his notes right now, or what? <laughs> you have not had this answer yet, I can guarantee you. Ooh. Uh, let me start with my, uh, my all-time. Like, I like playing lists, right? So yeah. here's yeah. my five greatest players of all time. Point guard, Magic Johnson. Shooting guard, Michael Jordan. Small forward, Larry Bird. Now, power forward, I put Abdul Jabbar, but I got to tell you, I'm really close to moving LeBron onto this team. Okay. I'm really close, and I'm not a I'm not a big fan of his game. But, I mean, I'm really close. Like, if he gets another one, I'll probably move him in instead of Jabbar. But right now, I still got Jabbar there. And number five at center, the five men is is Will Chamberlain. I mean, that's so obvious. Mm. So that when you consider that the greatest player of all time is Will Chamberlain. Wow. And he in my mind, it's not. I wouldn't say it's not close. That's overused. It is close because there's so many great players. I think if, like, if they did a documentary on Wilt, like they, they did on Jordan, you mm -hmm. know, which was an amazing documentary, or if ESPN did, like, a 30 for 30 about him and people actually got to see it, I think a lot of people might change their mind. This guy was unbelievable. You're talking about a guy who was 7'2", maybe 7'3", who had like a 46 inch vertical. Like, are you kidding me? He dominated the game so badly, he had to make the key wider. He 
could dunk his free throws. Now, just think about that for a minute. When Jordan had dunk in the dunk contest, which was amazing, you know, foul line dunk with a little pump, he actually stepped on the line. He did. Right. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. could dunk his free throws. That's why they changed the free throw rule. He was the most dominant force, and everyone says, well, back when he played it, if you really, you know, like I'm a history dude, right? Like that's one of, of my, I love history and I love reading and I love studying. And the more I've looked at this, like, I mean, this guy averaged 50 points and 25 rebounds a game in one season. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Think about yeah. That. that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's insanity. They, they criticized him and said he was too selfish and he took too many shots. So he said, okay, fine. And guess what he did? The next year. He led the league in assists, the only center ever to do that. He led the league in assists. Uh, so, I don't know. I just They didn't even keep track of blocks back then, or he, he would have clearly averaged a triple-double. He's like the only guy that could block up Jabbar Skyhook. The mm-hmm. big criticism on him is that he didn't win enough championships, which is a fair criticism. But you also have to remember, like, it was a different time back then. Boston was so dominant. Nobody else won the championship. You know, it's like criticizing, you know, UBC for not winning enough national championships. Well, Carlton's winning them all. You know what? Like, right. And if, if Will did what players today do and said, okay, well, I'm just going to play for Boston then. <laughs> Would have yeah. never lost a game. Right, right. That's the equivalent, right? Boston right. was by far the most talent. So if he just said, okay, I'm just going to go play for them, he would have won nine or ten titles. So I, I don't buy that argument about him at all. So he has 72 records, I think 75, something like that. And I just think he was so dominant, and he would have been dominant in any era. Uh, he was so powerful. I, I watched this thing on YouTube where Arnold Schwarzenegger talked about how he used to come to the gym and outlift all of the all of the bodybuilders, all of the weightlifters. So, I, I'd encourage people to, to do a little research on him, and and you might he might not look as critical towards him as, as, as people have. I, I just think he is the greatest player of all time, um, and I'm totally convinced of it. Love it. I love the challenge for people to actually do the research too. Well done, good stuff, um, and you're welcome. That was great. Oh, by, by the way, oh, the yeah. other thing that I remember, too, is you know that he never fouled out of a game? Come on. He never fouled out of a game in his entire career. And I think it was that, that year that he averaged 50 a game. So that was like 62. He yeah. averaged 48.5 minutes a game. Wow. Well, there's only 48 minutes in a game. So but he never came out the entire season, even in overtime. He never, And he never fouled out. Wow. There you go. Okay, I'm done. Thank you for that. No problem. <laughs> Love it. Um, who's been the most important person or people in your life? Oh, so many. Uh, you know, I mean, my family's an amazing family. And, uh, you know, my, my mom and dad were so important to me. Uh, I miss them every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's funny, you know, I never, I, I never was like, Thought I'd be like a marriage guy. <laughs> I just didn't. Yeah. It just didn't seem to be a lifestyle that would work well for me. <laughs> but I got really lucky late in life and, and I met my wife. Um, you know, we're coming up on our, our sixth anniversary. We've been together about 10 years. And uh, yeah, she's been uh, 
really good for me. She's been a really good balance for me. And, I mean, talk about an athletic background. It's funny. Louise has no real athletic interest or background at all, mm-hmm. which is which is great. It works well for us. She does come to games, though. But, yeah. like, she's the younger sister of what might be the greatest Canadian athlete in the 20th century, Harry Jerome. What? What? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Harry Jerome, you know, unfortunately, he passed away very young. Right. Um, you know, he... he, he to be my brother-in-law and, and his younger sister Valerie, who was also an Olympian. You know, uh, I, I we, we visit her all the time. But yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's the family that we come from. So it's wow, cool. yeah, yeah, kind of cool. That's crazy. I mean, well talk about. I mean, well done, Eve. Well, well done, you know man. what's really interesting and important about that is, you know, it's Black History Month right now for sure. And yes. um, you know, if there's someone that you know Canadian kids should know about. And learn about it is, you know, the amazing, you know, Harry Jerome. My goodness. Absolutely. Well done. All right. I know, I I know one of the artists you're going to pick, but, you know, who is, who is, who are the top five artists or, you know, musicians or that you're going to be listening to um, over, over an extended period of time, not like in Vegas, not to get pumped for a game, like just over an extended period of time here. Absolutely. Well, you know, Springsteen is like the ultimate for me. Like I, I, Springsteen is amazing. I have every album he's ever done, every leg he's ever done, every concert. Um, I've seen him over 20 times live. Uh, Me and Louise actually in 2016, it was my dream to see him live in New Jersey. So we went to New Jersey and New York for vacation, got to see him at Giant Stadium, MetLife Stadium. Wow. It's the most remarkable experience of my life. Like, I have very um, eclectic musical taste. Like, I like pretty much everything. And, you know, Spotify, honestly, I don't even really know what that is. Um, <laughs> but when I got my job in West Van, my commute got longer. And when I got a new car, it came with this thing called Sirius Satellite Radio. Greatest yes. thing I've ever discovered in my life. So I listen to that every day and, you know, like I got it pre-programmed for like channel six, seven and eight, which is like 60s, 70s and 80s. Love listening to that stuff. Obviously, channel 20 is E Street Radio. That's the Spring Team channel. I got it tuned to uh, the Elvis channel, the the, uh, Frank Sinatra channel, classic vinyl. um, And a station I think you would like very much is station 43, Rock the Bells. Yes. Which is just all old school hip hop. Yeah. And I, uh, so I love that station. I used to have the Sirius, but then like I have like a nine minute commute. <laughs> so, you yeah, know, I was like, yeah, I was like, enough. how do I justify this? But yeah, 43 and then um, it was Rock the Bells. Then there, they had Backspin and then Sh- is Shade 45 still on? Yep, it's still there. Yeah. 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 So yeah, no, no, no. They, you, that's... <laughs> Serious is a nice, it's a nice so, touch. A lot just depends on whatever mood I'm in. Like, and, right. and for example, like uh, little Richard died earlier this year and I didn't listen to like that in a long time. And all of a sudden I started listening to like all that little Richard and Chuck Berry and all that old school stuff, which, you know, is the beginning of it all. Right. It was just amazing. And I watched a documentary on Pavarotti. I started listening to all this Pavarotti stuff and Creep Enter stuff and like these amazing duets he, he used to do with James Brown. So yeah, it, it changes for me and, and I kind of get on little binges of certain things. Uh, so, but I, I like pretty much everything. And, and, you know, I know you haven't asked me because obviously, you know, I'm the old 
the old coach dude, what, what I know, but I, you know, I, I do have a top five, you know, hip hop artist for you. If, if you're interested. You, it, listen, I, that's, I have it here. I was about to ask if there were okay. any hip hop artists. Okay. No I disrespect. You, no, no, I would have understood if you didn't I didn't want that. to cut you off from your, you know, you were going about, you know, some very deep, good artists. So Chuck Berry mentioned, I was letting you do your thing. Oh, Chuck let's, let's hear what you have to say. What is going on with the, your top five rapper list here? Let's go. Okay. So five is Rick Ross. Wow. Uh, uh, what you guys are what is that okay or is that bad like well, you you seem stunned by that it's wow <laughs> now you've thrown me off man. listen it's your list all right okay. it's okay. your list thank you yeah, yeah. thank you yeah. uh uh or uh oh man i think i, I think i got the black eyed peas at four <laughs> i don't know if you i don't know if you count them or not as hip-hop I do. Is that, okay. that is that all right? Do they count? They count. They do, okay. in fact, count. Okay. No, I'm just checking. I want to make sure. Uh, I, at number three, uh, I go way back, and I go to Run DMC. Cannot go wrong. Uh, number two is Eminem. Okay. And number one is the GOAT, Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg! Oh, nobody touches him. He's the best. <laughs> He is the best. Like, yeah, yeah I love he's, him. and he's yeah. talking about a guy who's lasted forever. Oh my god! Right, and stayed relevant forever. Right, it, you know, it's so true. He really has. I've seen him live a bunch too. He's hilarious. Yeah, Snoop D O Double G Rick Ross. He drops on us. <laughs> I'm still shocked. I'm still reeling from the Rick Ross. Well, you gotta, you gotta support the Cali Cartel. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would not disappoint for the lightning round, sir. Um, I actually dressed up as Rick Ross once for Halloween, so. Unreal. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> I even that, made like a big ass gold chain. Did with, you? With yeah. like my picture on it, with like little, put little gold glitter on it, so. Nice. That's full commitment, and I, I respect that. <laughs> oh my God. Unreal. Um, last question before you go. And whoa, whoa, I can't believe you put up with me whoa. for this long. Of course. Sorry. Last question from me before we go. Oh. Then maybe Corpus Mo may want to ask you questions to make you see if you can break the record. See if you can get past Gurley for your uh, longest guest. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could do it all again, you would what? Oh man, I, you know, I, it's such a hard question, right? Because, you know, I, ideally your life is what it is and, you know, you, you live it and you learn from it. And so you really, you know, you really want to change anything? Probably not. Of course, we, we all do hundreds of things that you know, we wish we maybe hadn't or wish we would have done differently. But I mean, that is kind of part of the process, right? I, I know I, when I was younger, I wished I understood how to work harder and smarter um, when I was a player, because I I I, I, I wish I was a, able to be a better hmm. player. I I, I, went, I shot the ball. That's all I ever did. I loved shooting. I was a really good shooter, but I didn't really know that I needed to work on some other things like my ball. And and I just I didn't have enough confidence um, as a young person. I wish I had more confidence, and and maybe that I just worked a little bit harder and smarter at understanding 
how to become a better player. Not that I was ever going to be like playing anywhere after high school, but I, 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 I guess I kind of wish I'd done that. Love it. Thank you. Corbs, do you have any questions? Um, last great, last great thing you've read or watched. I just finished watching, uh, this series called, uh, Manhunter. And it was about how the FBI learned how to like behavioral analysis and how they found the Unabomber. And it was really, really interesting. I binge watched, I binge watched that one pretty quick. Uh, that was pretty good. The last book I read, and I, I can't remember the name, and that's terrible. I just lent it to one of my players. But it was a book that Bob Cousy wrote about his experience on the Celtics and his guilt that he had for not being a better teammate when it came to race, uh, specifically referring to his relationship um, with, Bill, um, with, Bill, um, with Bill Russell. And, you know, of course, back then that – huge amount of racism still players you know couldn't stay in the same hotel and things like that and and he wishes that you know and what he learned from that it, it's a really good book and i'm, I'm mad that i can't remember the name but uh, it was uh it's a good read and like i said i just gave it to one of my players uh, to read so if you can find that it's a good read awesome awesome answer my last one is Whoa. uh hey, hey. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah. He's doing two now. Oh, I hey, got, I got I think, two. Think we have wow. you to thank for this, Eve? You bet. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're gonna have to dial him back after this. Episode. <laughs> just gotta so I'm straight to his head, eh? <laughs> um, I'm wondering if there's a uh, quote that has stuck with you through 40 years of uh, coaching coaching basketball in BC. Corbs, that is an awesome question because I have an answer for you. Beautiful. And it was a quote that I got from Louis Carnesecca who coached St. John's way back in the day. And when we first started doing basketball camps, we started doing basketball camps in Vancouver when I was like 18 or 19. Um, it was called Vancouver Nike Basketball Camp. And I did it for a long time, and I did them in Richmond. And on the back of our shirt that we made for camp, we put this quote, and it's, life is good, but basketball is better. That's all we need. Yep. Oh, such, Wow. Corbett, that was an awesome question. I hadn't even thought of that quote in a long time. Yeah, life is good, but basketball's better. There you go. That's why we pay him the big bucks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, my man. Any any last shout-outs or uh, thoughts no, or anything before before we let you go? No, no, no. I've already taken up way too much of your time. So I just <laughs> you want to know. One, I had to give one more bleep for Corbin there. So thanks. <laughs> thanks, coach. You're welcome. Thank you. That's a, that's a coaching so move. That's a coaching move. And thank move. you for this podcast. It's awesome. Like, it uh, really is. If you love basketball, and obviously you, you guys have expanded and covered other parts of the country, but, I mean, if you're a BC person, you love basketball, listen to this because there's so much good stuff that you get from it, and it's a lot of fun. So keep it up, my brother. Thank you. We will. We will. And thank you so much, uh, Eve. You know, you've been an important person in so many people's life. And, uh, you know, just looking at your bio isn't for me, it was kind of getting a little bit of nostalgic, but also just looking at just the hours of service too, right? I mean, obviously coaching high school is a service, but the hours that you've given to committees and, and, and to, to, to build the game and help it grow. Right. And, and I think it says a lot about who you are and uh, you're an icon man and you mean so much to so many. So we were super grateful that you would be able to join us. I know it took us a while, but 
we've got a long list and we've got many people who have great stories and yours is one you know you're a hall of famer in so many different ways and and i'm glad that i was able to just have a small part of um your coaching life and uh continued success to you and your family and i know we'll see you soon you too buddy thanks so much you're welcome thank you all the best yeah see you on the next episode that was a great one thanks to coach (laughs) Eve.